Okay, this is Thursday, October the 26th, and we are on Fan for Racing Radio for our Martinsville 2 NASCAR Round Up. Joining me for today's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. It's going to be one of those days. You ever seen when they're lined up, ready to go, but there's one car missing, and just before they roll off pit road, they roll that car out there? I feel like that's me today. <laughs> well, it happens, so we'll, we'll uh, work our way through it. Uh, we're going to start today with the upcoming short track races and news, and then we're going to offer a few ARCA West updates. Uh, after that, We'll update the NASCAR Truck Series. They had their elimination race for the Final Four last week at Homestead, Miami. So they are preparing for Phoenix as we speak. Then we're going to preview the NASCAR Xfinity and the Cup Series races. Uh, Those races are taking place at Martinsville this weekend. And the Martinsville Speedway races will be elimination races for both of those series. So we'll know after uh, this weekend who the final four drivers are for all three series for Phoenix, which will take place next week. We're going to end the episode, of course, with our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew. In addition to Jay and myself, we'll have Brian Everly and Mike Orzel joining us for that conversation. Well, speaking of joining, uh, we got a couple of drivers. We're going to talk about joining different teams. That's a lot of our hot topics today, which I can't wait to talk about. So, And see what Brian and uh, Mike think about them. Oh, yeah, it is going to be interesting. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get started with our upcoming dirt and short track races, Jay. We'll start with October 26th and uh, move our way down the list. All right, for the October 26th, I believe we got two on dirt, the World Track or World Short Track Championships. That's at the Dirt Track at Charlotte. That'll be at 5 o'clock on Dirt Vision. And then Flow Racing at 8 p.m. is going to have the Short Track Nationals from Texarkana 67 Speedway. And then for short tracks, we've got the NASCAR Wheel and Modified Tour at Martinsville Speedway. Uh, that starts tonight at 8 p.m., and it will be available for live stream. Now we'll move on to 20th. October 27th. Okay, for the 27th on dirt, you got the USAC National Dirt Sprints at Red Dirt Speedway. Red Dirt Speedway. I'm sorry, Red Dirt Raceway. That'll be at 7 p.m. on Flow Racing. Then in Dirt Vision at 4 p.m., you're going to have the continuation of the World Track Championship at the Dirt Track at Charlotte, 4 p.m. Moving back to Flow Racing at 6 p.m. would be this Oberfest at Bridgepoint Speedway, and that's at 6 p.m. on Flow Racing. And then also there's the Short Track Super Series at the Mid-Atlantic Championships at Georgetown Speedway. That'll be 6.20 p.m. on Flow Racing. And at 8 p.m. on Flow Racing is the Short Track Nationals, Day 2 at Texarkana 67 Speedway. That starts at 8 p.m. Then on Saturday the 28th, you're going to have wrap-up 
as you got the USAC National Sprint from the Red Dirt Raceway at 7 p.m. on Slow Racing. Final day, I believe, there are the World Short Track Championship at Dirt Track at Charlotte. That'll be 4 o'clock on Dirt Vision. The Spint Oberfest Bridgeport Speedway Racing, that'll be at Flow Racing at 6 p.m. All right, and then we've got the Short Track Super Series Mid-Atlantic Championships again at Georgetown Speedway at 6.20 p.m. on Flow Racing. Then at 7 p.m. on Flow Racing is the NARC Sprint Car Showdown, Kern County Raceway, again 7 p.m. At 8 p.m. on Flow Racing is the Short Track National, another day at Texarkana, 67 Speedway. And at 8.30 p.m. on Flow Racing is the NASCAR Weekly Racing at Meridian Speedway. So some fun races there. All right. These next ones are a part of on the 29th, correct? Uh, no, there's no races on the 29th. There's short tracks, the Smart Modified Tour. All right. That's uh, the Smart Modified Tour, uh, Orange County Speedway. That'll be on Flow Racing with the time to be determined. At 1.15 p.m., though, you can watch the Napa Auto Parts Fall Final from Stafford Motor Speedway. NASCAR Weekly Racing, that'll be covered at 7 p.m. from Florence Motor Speedway. And then finally, also at 7 p.m., the Sean Beluzo Memorial, and that comes from Langley Speedway. All those are covered on Flow Racing. Okay, we don't show any dirt or short track races on the 29th, but on October 30th, on dirt, you can watch the weekly racing at Millbridge Speedway at 6 p.m. on Dirt Vision. So, uh, again, there's just so many races. This is headline races. There's so many races going on all around the country at a local short track near you. So we really encourage people to... uh, head on over uh, to a short track near you and uh, take part and support your local short tracks. Well, and if you're in the Alabama, Georgia, even Mississippi, Tennessee area, East Alabama Motor Speedway and the National 100 is this weekend. Uh, I've been to that in the past. I don't think I'm going to make it this year, but that's going on this weekend as well. And you mentioned it, Sharon, that getting down to the time of the year, aside from specials, last opportunity to to see some of these uh, local dirt tracks race for the year. So definitely want to get out. Definitely. All right. Uh, I'm heading over to Racing America now to kind of catch some of the headline stories that are taking place uh, over there. And let's start with local favorites balancing ASA Stars National Tour Championship battles in All-American 400 double dip. Uh, This is going to be fun because uh, a pair of Nashville Fairground Speedway regulars enter the All-American 400 weekend with a busy agenda over the course of the three days. So uh, let's see if they've got the entry list here. Uh, They don't have the entry list here, but there are a lot of... um, There's a lot of uh, commentary here about the race. Uh, This is one of the premier races that take place throughout the season. It is, and that one is one, too. I've been fortunate enough to go to one time. Some of the names, I happen to get to see uh, Chandler Smith involved in the race I went to, and we're going to talk more about him later. 
But with the, the inaugural ASA Stars National Tour Championship, it's coming down to the wire as it'll be Ty Majeski's edge over Cole Butcher now down to just eight points as they head into that finale at Nashville Fairgrounds. Yes, indeed. So uh, this is a, a do-not-miss event uh, for all the folks that uh, enjoy watching that All-American 400 and the ASA Stars National Tour. Uh, there's also an article here about Matt Hirschman. He's not slowing down. He's got a busy slate of races. So if you want to know more about that, uh, the next he will race three times in the next two weekends with trips to Martinsville, Stafford, and Carraway. So uh, a lot to look forward to there. Well, and if you haven't seen Matt Hirschman race, you know he don't slow down for nothing. <laughs> and that's why he wins a lot. Yeah, but it's uh, true. Some uh, uh, more penalties that were put out for the Cars Tour with issues from Chatter County Speedway. Uh, the Solid Rock Carriers Car Tour has issued penalties which were incurred during the Blue Ridge 250 Prolate Model event at Tri-County Speedway on October 21st uh, for actions detrimental to racing or to the Cars Tour under Section 1A of the rulebook, driver Katie Henninger, driving the number 81 of Anthony Campy Racing, will receive a one-race suspension effective at Caraway Speedway November 4th for retaliating and intentionally wrecking the number 96 of Caden Quapple. Also, driver Ashton Higgins... Driver of the number nine for ALH Motorsports will receive probation for the remainder of the season and will be fined $500 for unauthorized crossing of the racing surface to confront another competitor. The fine must be paid before returning to the series. And the third here is driver Gavin Rochelle, uh, driver of the number 25, Rackley War, will receive probation for the remainder of the season for rough driving. So, um, and there's a whole list of other uh, infractions here for entering another competitor's pit area to investigate a physical confrontation under Section 1F of the rule book. Uh, Shad Higgins received the one-race suspension effective at Carraway and will be fined $500. Um, uh, Shane Higgins is receiving a runway uh, suspension effective at Caraway and a $500 suspension. That same uh, penalty is to Coleman Higgins and Pearson Hensley, as well as um, uh, they all must pay their fine before returning to the series. Steve Deskins receives a one-race suspension. Uh, effective at Caraway. There's no fine listed for that person. So, wow, is all I can say, Jay. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to add a little bit to it. Uh, I know we got some coming up on Hot Topics as far as NASCAR's top three level uh, three uh, series as well. There were seven there from Homestead. It's that time of year, end of the year. You know, you've been racing some of these drivers, racing each other all year. Championships are on the line frustrations just boiling over, I guess. I mean, it's sad, but we got to cover it as it is part of what the news of what's going on. Unfortunately, that is the negative side of the sport that we see. Um, but I'm glad to see that it's also being addressed and not just let slide. Absolutely. 
Okay, now Flow Racing will have a list of all the races that are that they'll be covering over the weekend and uh, throughout the weekend. And uh, again, you can see that list right at the top of their webpage. Uh, they'll give you a running list of the races that are coming up. And then at Short Track Scene, <coughs> excuse me, another one of our favorites. Uh, they talk about the American Canadian Tour. Class Act, the defending ACT uh, tour titleist, had exactly the night he needed to come up with that championship. So uh, you can read all about that. Um, There's uh, also some more on the ASA Stars Tour and the penalties that came from the Winchester uh, 400. And also for the Cars Tour, uh, suspension fines from Tri-Academy that we just kind of outlined for you. Uh, You might be able to get uh, a little more detail there. And Jay mentioned earlier, eight ASA points separating Ty Majewski and Cole Butcher. We've been detailing this one from the beginning of the year. Ty Majeski going for two championships in both the truck series as well as the ASA. Uh, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I don't know. He's not still in it for the truck series, is he? Uh, no, he was eliminated from the truck series. So, yeah, he's not going to go two for two, uh, unfortunately, but he still has a shot <laughs> with this one. Yes, indeed. Uh, So, anyway, lots of great articles on all those websites as well, and we encourage everybody to take a look at that. Uh, We're going to move to the Arca Menard series. They are not racing this weekend. They'll race their season finale at Phoenix Raceway as well as NASCAR's top three, and I'm talking about the Arca West here. Uh, but there is some news uh, that is available. One of them is that the Arkham and Arkham champion, uh, Jesse Love, is going to be racing the Xfinity Series next year with Richard Childress Racing. Big news that we'll be talking about also on our Hot Topic Sound Off later on. Yeah, that's huge. And when we look at the Arkham and Ard Series, both the main series and then the East and West, we've talked about this. The list of champions that move up to these other series is limitless. And this is, I think, going to be another one as Jesse Love put together one of the most impressive, I believe it's listed as far as top five, winning half of the races there in the Arkham Menard series. So definitely ready to move up. Um, I don't want to get too much into it because, yeah, it is one of our hot topics. Going to RCR, though. Um, it's great to hear. Well, we've been following into the Arkham Menard series, uh, and I'll tell you, we've seen this one coming, haven't we, Jay? Yeah, winning, winning uh, the West series, I believe, uh, one of the youngest. Again, I don't have that official status. He was the youngest, but one of the youngest to win in the West series, moved into the Arkham Menard series, and just absolutely dominated. So, yeah, you see this progression coming. Um, again, I don't want to go too deep here, but uh, we'll talk about it come hot topics because I know Mike and Brian are both going to have some thoughts on this one. 
Yes, indeed. So we'll look forward to hearing more about that. During our Hot Topic Sound Off, but you can see all kinds of video highlights. Uh, Dylan Capello relives his Las Vegas win. Uh, Todd Souza earns a runner-up finish at uh, Madeira. Uh, the Reese Sweep over the race uh, at Las Vegas is here, as well as Honeycutt's, uh, Caden Honeycutt's Victory Lane interview, race highlights from the 5150 Junior Homecoming Arca 150, and the sweet move of the race uh, when that race took place at uh, Madeira Speedway. All kinds of great information available over at ArcaRacing.com, as well as news stories uh, that happen throughout a race weekend. So. I can't wait for the Desert Diamond Casino West Valley 100. That race will take place on November the 3rd at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Phoenix Raceway. So uh, <clears throat> that race will be touch on racing live. ARCA Racing will have the uh, radio coverage available and um, – if you're wondering what time it's going to be in Arizona, it's 11.30 a.m. in Arizona, 2.30 p.m. in uh, the East Coast. And there will be a delayed broadcast on November the 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. But Flow Racing live streaming from the one-mile paved known as Phoenix Raceway. It's going to be exciting. It is, and I was trying to peruse here the article on uh, Caden Honeycutt's win. It doesn't tell me how close it is, but the Drivers' Championship is going to be one thing. Um, Sean Hingarani, I believe, is guaranteed that. But the Owners' Championship, with Honeycutt stepping into that Steve McGowan's number 17, um, still yeah. puts him in contention for the Owners' Championship. It doesn't tell me what the difference is in owner's champion, but I know that one is still a battle between the two um, with Let the Honeycutt me, I've taking got over it here, that. Jay. All right, what you got? Let me see here. The points. Well, it's um, Steve McGowan's number 17 is at 552 points. Uh, Bill Venturini for the number 15 is at 534 points. So the difference oh, right. it looks like is, um, well, Venturini has more wins. They have four compared to McGowan's three. Uh, but McGowan has uh, three second-place finishes compared to Venturini's one. Neither one of them have third-place finishes. <laughs> McGowan has two fourth-place finishes compared to Bill Venturini's uh one fifth place and one sixth place finish. So uh, McGowan has the eight top fives and ten top tens, while Venturini has six top fives and only seven top tens. Uh, so that's the difference between the two teams. And it's an interesting story. We talked about it. Landon Lewis was one point um, behind Sean Ingrani in the driver standings when he was no longer yes. racing for that team and stepped out and Caden Honeycutt stepped in. So the team's still doing very well uh, now having the point lead or the owner's points lead. So definitely going to be something to watch. I know some people don't get involved in the owner's side of it, but 
uh, for these West Series teams. It is about the teams that are there as they stay steady. We see we're talking about drivers moving on. It's the teams that normally, I say normally, stay there and provide an opportunity for that next driver in line. So that's real important for them when it comes to the owner's championship. And, and the other part of this is it's really coming down to uh, not necessarily the championship, but it's coming down to uh, second place and, and, thir- and fourth place. Because you've got Trevor Huddleston and Tyler Wright. They're separated by three points. Trevor's in second place. Tyler Wright is in third place. Um, uh, on the other side of that is a tie between Todd Souza and Bradley Erickson for that fourth place spot. So it's really tight when you go below the championship leader uh, points-wise. Uh Behind Bradley Erickson, by just four points, is Tanner Rice. And uh, let's see, that's what, seven points or eight points difference between Tanner and seventh-place driver Eric Nascimento. So really, five points between Eric Nascimento and Kyle Keller between seventh and eighth place. So the points are really tight uh, for position within the top ten. So that's another big storyline to follow, uh, which one of these drivers are going to prevail in that season finale. And here's the, here's the other thing I look at when we're talking about the teams. Uh, Steve McGowan Racing obviously doesn't have the same amount of resources as Venturini Motorsports. I know Bill McAnally has come out of that um, West Series. Look, they're in the tr- involved in the truck series now. But for these teams, that shows that these teams can go toe-to-toe with some of these bigger teams, which I think is encouraging and builds for the future of the sport, teams knowing that they have a chance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, uh, that's always a good thing when you've got the smaller teams up against. It's kind of like the David and Goliath story, uh, the smaller teams up against the bigger teams. And... uh, you know, what they can do, and, and that's part of why that owner's championship is is so very important with Steve McGowan uh, currently leading that. It is, and I look forward to it, uh, as well as the on-track racing. Uh, you know, again, take nothing away from Sean Hingarani and what they've done with Venturini Motorsports, um, another one that's Absolutely. been running in multiple series, but take, looking to take the championship here in the West Series. Okay. Now, if you want to know the broadcast schedule, when and where to watch replays um, of these races, I gave you the replay for. <clears throat> excuse me. I gave you the uh, replay for the um, for the um, race at uh, Phoenix, uh, but they have all of that information available at uh, arcaracing.com. And during the race, you can actually watch a race central that gives you live updates directly from the track during the live race. So uh, a lot of uh, good information, as I say, that's available at that website. Jay, we always run short on time for our preview of NASCAR's top three. So I'm going to go ahead and move on now. Uh, to the truck series. They are not racing this weekend. They won't be racing again until we get to Phoenix. 
the Craftsman 150 on Friday, November the 3rd at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. This is their finale, um, and that will be on MRN Sirius XM Channel 90. So we'll give you more details there uh, next week when we do our preview. But let's go ahead and uh, touch on who these contenders are in the uh, NASCAR Cup series, Truck Series. Uh, but there's been some changes, so we'll we'll touch on that first. Or not changes. Yeah, I know these are actually these are two the that we uh, I think we hit on both of them already on previous uh, hot topics, but the first one, Dean Thompson, is he's set to return to Tricon Garage in 2024. The team announced that Dean Thompson will be back behind the helm of the number five Toyota Tundra TRD Pro in 2024. In 22 starts this year, Thompson had two top fives and four top ten finishes. The 22-year-old collected a career-best finishes of third at Talladega and Charlotte. And then Christian Eckes is set to return to McAnally Hilgerman Racing uh, next season. Uh, they announced that last week that he'll that Eckes will return full time uh, to the truck series campaign this year during his first year aboard the number 19 MHR Chevrolet Silverado RST by winning three races and was challenging for the uh, Truck Series Championship in his third playoff run before he was eliminated. Yeah, he ran into a little bit of bad luck last weekend, which was a shame. His crew chief, Charles Denneke, is also going to return and lead Eckes in that number 19 team next season. Uh, Eckes and Denneke will have become an elite duo in the series, scoring three wins in 22 races, along with nine top five and 12 top ten finishes. So I uh, definitely look forward to seeing Christian Eckes back on track with McAnally Hilgerman next season. Uh, but now we're going to take a look at the rookie standings. No contest here. No, it wasn't. As Sanchez dominated that Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. For the 2023 Craftsman Truck Series Sunoco Rookies head to the final race of the season, it's Rev Racing's Nick Sanchez that again dominated the season. The 2022 Arkham and Ard Series uh, champion has been leader of the rookie standings for most of the season. In 22 starts, he put up five poles, two top fives, and 11 top tens, and led a total of 304 laps on the season. He also made a deep run at 22 years old into the Craftsman Truck Series playoffs, again, unfortunately, being eliminated in that round of eight. When we look at the points, being that he made the playoffs, he had 2,225 won the Rookie of the Year award per race eight times. Jake Garcia, 497 points, um, looks to finish second with five awards. Taylor Gray at 469 picked up three awards. Rajah Karuth picked up two and sitting at 457 points. Daniel Dye picked up one, is at 384 points. And Brett Holmes also had one award and sits at 303 points. Okay. 
Next, uh, Phoenix Raceway, another Craftsman Truck Series champion, will be crowned, takes off next weekend for that season finale, where and they'll decide which of the four championship contenders takes the title. It's going to be between Corey Heim, Carson Hosevar, Grant Dinfinger, and Ben Rhodes. Uh, so whoever finishes highest takes the title. The one-mile low-bank trioval in Avondale, Phoenix, has hosted 32 Craftsman Truck Series races, producing 22 different race winners. Eight of the 32 series races have been won from the pole or the first starting position, most recently by reigning uh, Craftsman Truck Series champion Zane Smith, who did that in 2022. Since they opened in uh, 1964, Phoenix has had four different names. We've known that track as Phoenix International Raceway, ISM Raceway, Jeff Gordon Raceway on November 15th of 2015, and Phoenix Raceway. Uh, That track was originally two circuits in one, a 2.7-mile road course, and a one-mile trial. And confiding uh, the track to the oval only. It was reconfigured by mid-August of 2011, uh, and then from 20, 1995 to 1998, Phoenix Raceway held two truck series races a year. But since 99, the track has only hosted one race uh, in the series for in the, per year. The inaugural Phoenix race was won by Mike Skinner, piloting the number three Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet. That was on February 5th. Uh, Phoenix Skinner bested legendary drivers Terry Labonte, Ron Hornaday Jr., and Johnny Benson Jr. Sheldon Creed was the first driver to win the championship race at Phoenix just last year. Other race winners at that track, uh, well, actually, I should say championship race winners, uh, when it was at Homestead between 2016 and 19, it was William Byron, Chase Briscoe, Brett Moffat, and Austin Hill. Two, at Phoenix, it's been Sheldon Creed, Chandler Smith, and Zane Smith winning that championship title. The Craftsman Truck Series will kick off the championship weekend with practice on Thursday, November the 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern, and they'll make their qualifying runs on Friday, November the 3rd at 6.05 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, what I want to do next, and we'll do this one together, Jay, is we're going to go over who the championship four are and kind of give an overview of those drivers. But uh, why don't you kick it off with the lead-in? All right. And that stage is set as the Phoenix Raceway waits for the championship four. And the Castrum Truck Series concluded that round of eight at Homestead Miami Speedway last weekend, locking in the four drivers who will be competing to be crowned the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion for 2023. Carson Hosevar won the Baptist Health Cancer Care 200, which was his fourth victory of the 2023 season, locked his place in the championship four after making a late race pass on Ben Rhodes. 
As for the other three drivers, Corey Heim had already clinched his spot after winning the Bristol Motor Speedway. Grant Enfinger pointed his way in as he was five points uh, above the cut line after a fifth-place finish at Homestead. And then the 2021 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion Ben Rhodes earned the final spot on a tiebreaker of best finish in the round. Rhodes finished runner-up after Zane Smith and the number 38 Front Row Motorsports team were disqualified after that post-race technical inspection found the unapproved windshield support. So, again, tight points battle. But we're going to take a look, as Sharon mentioned, the four championship drivers and the careers uh, that got them to this point. Um, You want to start? You're going to start at the bottom? Uh, Yeah, let's go ahead and start at the bottom. We'll start with Ben Rhodes. Uh, Let's see. Ben Rhodes driving the number 99 Thor Sport Racing Ford returns to Phoenix after that runner-up finish in the championship four round after finishing in the championship four round this year as the runner-up. The 21 Truck Series champion is in his sixth playoff appearance and will make his third start in the championship four round. Now, the season stats include one win at Charlotte. He's got five top five finishes and 12 top 10 finishes. He's led 90 laps. He has an average start of 11.8 with an average finish of 11.4. That's just his season stats for this year. His overall stats from 2014 to the current year includes 186 starts, seven wins, 55 top fives, 102 top tens, and five poles. He's led a total of 1,218 laps, has an average start of 9.3, with an average finish of 11.4. His playoff stats, 2017 to the present, includes one playoff win that was at Las Vegas in 2017. He has 41 starts, 14 top five finishes, 22 top ten finishes, and two poles. He's led 193 laps. His crew chief is Rich Lucius, who was just recently paired back with him. Rich, Rich Lucius has six years of knowledgeable experience in the truck series. He's accumulated three wins, 21 top fives, 41 top tens, and that's all in 93 races. Lucius has been paired up with Haley Deegan earlier in the season before he was brought over to the 99 team in mid-September. The dynamic duel of Rhodes and Lucius won the 21 Craftsman Truck Series Championship together. I would say that's not good news for the uh, other playoff drivers. Certainly not one you got to watch and could be tough to compete with, but one of the drivers that intends to compete with them is going to be the number 23 GMS Racing Chevrolet driver, Grant Enfinger. They head to Phoenix Raceway to compete in the Craftsman Truck Series Championship four-round for Enfinger. It's his second time in his career. Now, with steady performances week in and week out, the 38-year-old hopes to earn GMS Racing a championship in their final start. Again, that team's shutting down at the end of the season. When we look at the 2023 yearly stats, Enfinger has three wins coming at Kansas, Gateway, and Milwaukee. 
total of eight top five finishes and 11 top tens, along with one pole. He led a total of 232 laps, average start at 9.9, which he improved on average finish to 9.3. Look at his total truck series career of 172 starts. He has 10 wins, 58 top fives, 101 top tens, and six poles, 1,131 laps led. For his career, his average start and finish of just a tick higher, 10.3 for start, 10.4 for finish. We talk about playoff stats. He's got four playoff wins coming at Las Vegas in 2018, Martinsville in 2020, Indianapolis in 2022, and Milwaukee here in 2023. That's a total of 34 starts with 15 top fives, 20 top 10 finishes, and three poles, leading 346 laps. When we detail his crew chief, we've got Jeff Hensley. And his crew chief experience dates back to 1987 and has made his mark in both the Xfinity Series and here in the Craftsman Truck Series. He spent 15 years in the Xfinity Series, compiling 11 wins, 46 top five finishes, 106 top tens, along with 13 poles in those 427 races. Two notable names that he has worked with in the series are Larry Pollard in 1987 and then Chuck Bowne from 1989 to 1993. Now, in 2004, he made a... Hensley made the move to the Craftsman Truck Series as he became a crew chief for Bill Lester. Since then, he's accumulated 22 wins, 124 top fives, and 245 top tens, along with 38 poles, all in 462 races. List of notable names here he's teamed up with in the Truck Series. Uh, some good ones. Mike Skinner from 2005 to 07. Timothy Peters in 2010, Ron Hornaday Jr. in 2011 and 12, Johnny Sauter in 2014. In 2022, Hensley started the year with Matt Crafton before being switched over to Enfinger. Okay, next up we have Carson Hosfar, driver of the number 42, Nice Motorsports Chevrolet. He's heading to uh, Phoenix Raceway, making his first appearance in the Truck Series Championship for a round. He's a third-year driver uh, that has made the uh, playoffs since his rookie season in 2020, but he's never made it out of the round of 10. Hosfar is now hoping to deliver Nice Motorsports his first Truck Series Uh, As far as this season, he has four wins at Texas, Nashville, Richmond, and Homestead, 10 top fives and 12 top tens. He's led 260 laps, has an average start of 9.3 with an average finish of 11.2. For his uh, truck series career, he has 76 starts, four wins, 21 top fives, 33 top tens, and one pole award. He's led 600 laps with an average start at 10.8 and an average finish at 13.1. As far as his playoff stats, uh, he has one playoff win that was at Homestead in 2023. He also has 20 starts, uh, five top fives 
finishes and six top ten finishes, and he's led 180 laps. So that takes us uh, to our number one guy. Do you want to hit on his crew chief? Oh, I missed the crew chief. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, his crew chief is Scott Zipidelli. Uh, he has the experience, crew chief experience dating back to 2000 and has made his mark in both Xfinity Series as well as the Truck Series. He spent 10 years no, that's, in the Xfinity. That's Himes. Oh, that's Himes. Uh, I've got Gould, the wrong Phil crew Gould. chief. Yep, you Phil Gould. I apologize. I apologize. Phil Gould, all three. NASCAR National Series. His NASCAR journey first began in 2013 in the Xfinity Series with Brian Scott. He he spent six years in the series compiling one win, eight top fives, 77 top tens, and four poles in 198 races. He also worked with Elliott Sadler in 2015 and Ryan Reed from 16 to 18 before moving into the Truck Series in 19. He spent most of almost the entirety of the season with Ross Chastain, who earned most popular driver that year. Since then, he's been in the Truck Series for five years, accumulating seven wins, 31 top fives, 57 top tens, two poles, and other notable names that he's worked with in the series include Trevor Bain in 2020, Ty Majeski in the same year, and Brett Moffat in 2021. I apologize, uh, Jay, for taking some of your crew chief info there. No, I, I, I've done the same thing before. When that page slides up, I know you thought you were where you belong, but it jumped on you. Exactly. <laughs> The last one we're going to look at is Corey Heim, driver of the number 11 Tricon Garage Toyota. He heads to Phoenix Raceway to make his first career appearance in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series Championship four-round. The 21-year-old's first year with his new team has gone without a significant hitch. He's picked up on the year three wins coming at Martinsville, Mid-Ohio, and Bristol. The 12 top five finishes and 15 top tens along with three poles. Laps led at a whopping 564. Average start, 7.2. And again, up in that just a little bit for an average finish of 6.2. When you look at his career, again, not a whole lot longer there, 2021 to the present. He's got 40 starts, five victories, 18 top fives, 29 top 10 finishes, along with five poles. Laps led increased up to 635. Average start, 8.2. Average finish, 10.2. So still right in that same range. Now when we look at the uh, playoffs here, it's a little bit more limited. He's got one playoff win, though, at Bristol, but has made a total of only six starts, but has five top five finishes, all six being top tens, and leading 156 laps. And as we get into the crew chief, Scott Zipidelli, and Sharon has started here. We're going to look at his experience dating back to 2000. He made his mark in both the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series as well, having spent 10 years in the Xfinity Series, compiling three wins, 35 top five finishes, and 91 top tens in 272 races. Notable names he worked with in the series, the Herminator, Kenny Wallace in 2011 and 12, 
worked with Justin Allgaier in 2013, and then Kyle Larson in 2014. In 2015, he made his move over to the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, becoming crew chief for Ben Kennedy. Since then, he's accumulated 18 wins, 68 top five finishes, 117 top tens, and nine poles in 204 races. Notable names he's teamed up with in this series, Ryan Truex in 2017, Brett Moffitt in 2018, Austin Hill from 2019 to 21, and then Tyler Ankrum in 2023. And additionally, Zipadilly is one that led Brett Moffitt to the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series Championship in 2018. And I think if we go all, right. all the way down here real quick, Sharon, I think at the very bottom, I know we started at the bottom. Yeah, I was uh, going to do contenders. that. Okay, go all ahead. Right, you want me to do all right, uh, career performance. When we look at these four drivers, because Phoenix, it is the best of the four wherever they finish. Corey Heim only has one race. It was a top 10, so his average finish is 7.0. Carson Hosevar, four starts at Phoenix, two top 10s, one DNF, unfortunately. Average finish then at 18.5. Ben Rhodes has the most starts at eight four of them being top fives, five of them being top tens, also has a DNF, but an average finish of 8.4. And then Grant Infinger, kind of in the middle, got six starts, one pull, two top fives, three top tens, also has a one DNF, average finish of 10.8. Yep, it's going to be, it's good. this is going to be a fun one to watch at Phoenix. I can't wait. Uh, for next weekend and the uh, championship races beginning with, uh, actually we'll have the ARCA West uh, determining their championship <clears throat> first, and then we go to the truck series. <clears throat> I apologize, so I know, I've got I a frog I can't have... get rid of. Well, I was going to say, I know we, we, uh, we don't have a four-sided dice, or maybe you do, but I don't have mine handy. Who who do you think is the winner? <laughs> Oh, man, it's going to be tough to say. Corey Heim actually has uh, the best stats, but he also has the fewest number of races there. So <clears throat> I think that uh, he also is the only driver without a DNF, but, again, he's got the fewest number of races. He only has the one race at that track, and it was a good finish. So, man, I would say – Ben Rhodes might be the tough one at, when it comes to Phoenix because he's got the most races there. He's got the lowest average finish, the most top fives, and the most top tens. So uh, I'd have to go with Ben Rhodes on this one, looking at the stats. And I, I was going to say I'd have to have two coins. I think right now Corey Hyman and Carson Hosev are based on the entire year um, yeah. the top two going in in points, uh, which don't matter now. but and, and I would give the edge to Hosevar just based on current momentum. But then when you go down to the other two, Ben Rhodes and Grant Enfinger, that's what you call the spoilers. And there, too, I'd have to just flip the coin. You gave a great case for Ben Rhodes. Grant Enfinger, though, again, the experience to go out on the high note, the team shutting down. We haven't heard his new, uh, any news for him for next year. Uh, could be that spoiler. So, yeah, I say flip two different coins, but right now I think Hosevar. 
Okay. I think uh, we we both make good cases uh, for those drivers. Uh, and <clears throat> flip the coin because we really don't know what's going to happen at Phoenix. I wish I did have that crystal ball. Right. There you go. Okay, now we're going to move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series, the Dead-On Tools 250, Saturday, October the 28th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on the USA Network starting at 3 p.m., and radio coverage is available on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. Now, the voice a distance of 131.5 miles over 250 laps. First two stages are 60 laps, stage one inning on lap 60, stage two on lap 120. The final stage will be 90 laps, I'm sorry, 130 laps, ending on lap 250. Uh, So we've got a lot to cover here in the Xfinity Series as well because this is their elimination race. It is, but we're going to start with some news, and I know we talked about it a little bit. I'll just give you the news report. We'll talk about uh, opinions and whatnot on it later, but Arkham Menard Series champion Jesse Love going to join Richard Childress Racing in the Xfinity Series. The team announced this week that reigning champion Jesse Love will join the organization's NASCAR Xfinity Series stable in 2024. Love will compete for RCR's championship-winning Xfinity Series program on a full-time basis, beginning with the 2024 season opener at Daytona International Speedway. The 18-year-old from Menlo Park, California, um, native has won half of the races on that schedule this year en route to his Arkham Menard Series championship. Love began his racing career at the age of five, driving quarter midgets throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, before advancing to midgets and sprint cars as he accumulated six United States Automobile Club or USAC championships in the USAC Speed to Ford Focus Division. He made his stock car debut in a late model at just 10 years old. (laughs) An amazing career for that young man. Okay, Akinori Ogata is going to run at Martinsville. He's a Japanese driver joining Emerling Gase in that number 53 Chevrolet. This is Ogata's second Xfinity Series starts of the season and seventh overall. His first start in 23 came in Atlanta, where he didn't make it to the end of the race. He ended up finishing 29th. He made one other start in the series, and that was at Martinsville in 2021 when he finished 26. So welcome back to Akinori Ogata. And actually, I had somebody ask me this on Monday, and I didn't have the stats. Now I do. I'll have to get to him next Monday. But Chevrolet has clinched the Xfinity Series Manufacturer Championship. And that was with a win by Chevrolet driver Sam Mayer last weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. Chevrolet clinched the Manufacturer Championship in the Xfinity Series. Chevrolet has won 16 of the 31 races thus far this season, and it's the 25th time that Chevrolet has won the championship in the series, making it seventh in a row. All right. 
Uh, we're going to scout the field of the playoff contenders uh, that will be giving us their all at Martinsville. If there's ever a time to be all gas and no brakes, it's this weekend at Martinsville as this race sets the Xfinity Series Playoff Championship 4 field. One driver, Sam Mayer, has four starts, two top fives, three top tens at Martinsville and has already clinched his spot and will cruise into the weekend stress free. But now we'll take a look at the next seven drivers uh, that will be vying for their spot in that championship four at Martinsville this weekend. Uh, let's go bottom up, uh, Jay, every other one. All right. Uh, I got to start with Sheldon Creed as he's rounding out our round of eight. And he's made three starts at Martinsville. With those three starts, he's posted one top five and one top ten. He's come extremely close to victory at the track, posting a runner-up finish in last year's Martinsville playoff race. That bodes well. Yes, it does. Chandler Smith is seventh in the playoff standings. He's uh, down 54 points. He's made his series debut at Martinsville earlier this season, and at that time he posted a 10th place finish. And Sammy Smith, 49 points under the cut lines. He's made two starts at Martinsville, posting one top five and one top ten. In his Martinsville uh, race earlier this year, he also posted a runner-up finish. But where they're at in points, these guys runner-up may not get it done. Yeah, that guy almost got to get a win. Surprisingly, Justin Algauer is sitting just under the cut line, but he's down by just three points. He heads to the track with six starts under his belt. He's posted three top fives and five top tens with 12 laps led. So we'll see what Justin does this weekend. Well, and obviously his uh, eye on competition then for those three points would be Austin Hill as he's currently in the final championship four spot. Uh, Hill has made three starts at the .526 mile track. He's posted one, five, one top five, four, two top tens, and led a total of eight laps. Third in the playoff standings is Cole Custer. He's made one start at Martinsville Speedway this year, where he won the pole and led five laps and finished third. I find that surprising Last- that he's only made one start at Martinsville. Actually, right. I hadn't thought about that, huh? Uh, last one in contention of those seven, that's going to be John Hunter Nemechek as he's second in the standings. Now, Nemechek is the only playoff driver with a win at Martinsville, a victory he snagged earlier this season in his series debut at the track. He led 198 of the 250 laps. So there might be the one to really watch. Yes, indeed. Um you want to go over the clinch scenarios, Jay? All right. As I mentioned it, it's time's up, uh, ironically, with the clock, the grandfather clock ticking, I guess. They got one last shot to race for the championship and that's before they head to Phoenix Raceway. Now, with only that one driver clinched into the championship four round, the other seven are going to have to compete for those remaining uh, three spots. Mentioned Sam Mayer being the one that's locked in via his win. So clinching via points. If there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, drivers would clinch by being ahead of the fourth winless driver in the standings. The same requirements would be true if a new win comes from among John Hunter, 
Cole Custer, Austin Hill, the top three. So we'll start with John Hunter Nemechek. He's in pretty good position. He'd clinch with 10 points or 11 points if it's a win from Custer or Hill. Cole Custer on down, pretty much looking at needing a win or help. Uh, Custer would clinch a 52 points, 53 points if the win comes from Hill. Austin Hill then would need 52 as well, vice versa, 53 if, if Custer gets the win. Justin Algar needs 55 points to clinch, which there's only 60 available. And then Sammy Smith and Chandler Smith can only clinch with help. Now, if the winner is from Justin Algar or another winless driver lower in the standings, but still eligible to advance, then drivers could clinch by being ahead of the third winless driver. There, John Hunter Nemechek would clinch with 52 points. So you can almost consider him a lock. But Cole Custer now, he would need 54 points as well as Austin Hill. Again, Justin Algar, 55. Sammy and Chandler Smith both uh, needing help. And then lastly, win and you're in. Clinch your own spot by winning, and that includes the only one that didn't get listed there was uh, Sheldon Creed. Even under those other scenarios, he couldn't clinch based on points. So Sheldon Creed definitely in a must-win. Everybody else all the way up to that cut line, third and fourth, uh, really <laughs> close. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, uh, now the Xfinity Series is heading back to the paperclip of short tracks as the series winds down their 23 season. Uh, they head to Martinsville for the Dead on Tools 250. This will be the 41st Xfinity Series race at Martinsville. The previous 40 races have produced 26 different race winners and 21 different pole winners. Only six races have been won from the pole or that first starting spot. It's been over 35 years since the driver's been able to accomplish uh, that beat, most recently by Jimmy Hensley in 1987. This season is the fourth consecutive year that Martinsville serves as the penultimate or the sixth race in the playoffs for the Xfinity Series. It's the elimination race for the round of eight from 2020 to 23. The track was not on the Xfinity Series schedule from 2007 to 2019. There are a few drivers that have been able to etch their names into the Speedway's uh, record books, including Sam Ard for most wins at five. Brett Bondine has the most polls at five. Dale Jarrett has the most top fives with 11. Jimmy Hensley and Tommy Houston are tied for the most top tens at 17, and Tommy Ellis has the most laps led at 713. Three drivers in the field have already taken the checkered flag at the uh, half-mile track, one of which is a playoff contender, and that's John Hunter Nemechek, along with Brandon Jones, who did it in 22. Josh Berry did it in 21. John Hunter uh, did it earlier this season. Although he hasn't won a race for Martinsville, could also be a weekend as he knows what it takes to win the penultimate race of the season. In 2019, he won the final race in the round of eight, and that was held at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, now, uh, 
Phoenix Raceway had it for four years from 16 to 19, and the winners in those cases were Kyle Busch starting in 2016, followed by William Byron, Christopher Bell, and Justin Algauer. Uh, Martinsville was the penultimate race in, from 2020 to 22, and those winners were Harrison Burton, Noah Gregson, and Ty Gibbs. So drivers are going to hit the track this Friday for practice at 5 p.m., followed by qualifying at 5.35, and all of that will be covered on the USA Network or if you want the live streaming on the NBC Sports app. I cannot believe you went through a history of a track in the Xfinity Series and the records did not include the name Kyle Busch. He did have his name under the win list there, but (laughs) it's pretty rare you don't see his name under the records. Yes, indeed. Now we got to look at the first one in. We've said it several times. Junior Motorsports, Sam Mayer, is the one that has punched his championship four ticket. The 20-year-old Junior Motorsports rising star, Sam Mayer, got a taste of victory for the first time this season and hasn't been able to quench that thirst. The number one Junior Motorsports Chevrolet entered the 2023 season without a series, single series win under his belt. But after last weekend's race at Homestead Miami Speedway, he has racked up now four wins of Road America, Watkins Glen, and Charlotte Road Course, and Homestead, and became the first driver to punch his ticket to the championship four race at Phoenix Raceway. And that was his first oval win. I wanted to throw that in there. Now, okay. he and his team now have those two weeks to prepare a car that he'll take to Phoenix for his first championship four appearance in the hopes of earning his his first Xfinity Series title. Now, although Mayer can't take it easy heading into the dead-on tools 250 at Martinsville Speedway, he'll still want to show his uh, dominance in the field. He's made four starts at the .526-mile track, posting two top fives and three top tens. His only finish outside of the top ten was earlier this season when he fell victim to an incident and ultimately finished 31st. You want to carry that momentum, so stay on the gas. Okay. We're under 30 minutes for the Cup Series, so we're probably going to have to use the Reader's Digest version for some of this day. Uh, The next race for the Cup Series at Martinsville this weekend is the Xfinity Xfinity 500. That'll take place Sunday, October the 29th at 2 p.m. with uh, TV coverage on NBC, MRN, and Sirius XM Channel 90. They'll race a distance of... 263 miles over 500 laps. First two stages are 130 laps each, with stage one ending on 130, stage two on one on 60, and then the final lap, 240 laps, ending on lap 500. Well, one thing, and this is for today, I believe, fan voting for the 2024 Daytona 500 tri-oval grass design. Uh, it does start today, the voting period for the tribal grass design for the 2024 Daytona 500 has begun. It's the ninth consecutive year fans can cast their vote to their favorite tribal grass design that will be displayed during the 66th running of the Great American Race coming up on September or Sunday, February 18th of 2024. Uh, you can go through, let's see, what voting is open through Wednesday, November 1st. 
you visit Daytona, www.daytonainternationalspeedway.com backslash 2024-fan-vote um, to submit, and you get to vote for one of three creative designs, and then encouraged to share their choice via Facebook and X or Twitter. And then it'll be unveiled on in January of 2024 after voting is complete. Okay. Next up, we'll take a look at some of the milestones uh, that are coming up this weekend. Uh, Daniel Suarez will make his 250th Cup Series start at Martinsville Speedway. Ryan Price is making 150th Cup Series start at Martinsville. Ty Gibbs is making his 50th start at the track. Denny Hamlin, 650th Cup Series start at Phoenix Raceway. And Ricky Stenhouse will make his 400th Cup Series start at Phoenix. Drivers with 10 or more wins include Kyle Busch, all active with 63, Kevin Harvick at 60. I think we've covered these before, um, but uh, Denny Hamlin has the 51, Keselowski 35, Truex 34, Joy Logano 32, Kyle Larson 23, Chase Elliott 18, and William Byron at 10. Uh, for organizational wins, Woods Brothers is on the cusp of a milestone victory. They're looking to make their 100th Cup Series win this weekend. Henrik Motorsports lead all Cup Series organizations at 301 wins, followed by Joe Gibbs at 208, RFK at 141, Team Penske at 138, Richard Childress at 116, Next win, they'll be at 100, so I'm not going to mention the others. Manufacturer wins. Cup Series uh, win number 850 uh, for uh, Chevrolet currently has 849, so they're just one win away from that milestone, the most in the uh, Cup Series. Ford has the second most at 727, so they've got a ways to go. Uh, and we're still waiting on car number 99 to make uh, for their next win to be their 50th in the Cup Series. So uh, we'll, maybe they'll do that this weekend. And one under the notes, uh, uh, odd notes that we have here, well, an interesting one, but Reddick could earn the championship four appearance in his second fewest career starts. Prior to last season, it was Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott held the record for the fewest starts in the NASCAR Cup Series prior to earning a championship four uh, spot at 184 starts. That was in his 2020 championship season. But last year, when Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell surpassed Elliott's record, earned his first championship four round appearance in just 107 career starts, and Trackhouse Racing's Ross Chastain earned his in 150 career starts. But this weekend, 2311 Racing's Tyler Reddick could supplant Chastain now and move into second on the list. If he clinches a spot in the final four round this weekend, it would be 145 career starts. Okay. We're going to look at the drivers who are currently on the outside looking in, and Reddick is one of those drivers. Um, and so also Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, and Chris Buescher, just one shot left to make that championship four. 
So we'll find out who's going to make that happen. Tyler Reddick is uh, from 2311 is 10 down. Uh, then you've got the Joe Gibbs Racing Drivers, Truex 17, and Benny Hamlin 17 points down, and Chris Buescher down 43 points. So let's go uh, every other one, uh, starting with uh, Chris Buescher. All right. He is facing that must-win situation with RFK Racing. Now, Buescher has nothing to lose and everything to gain. The Texas native is buried in that deficit mentioned 40 from the cut line, looking to earn his spot in that playoffs final round for the first time in his career. The 30-year-old Busher has made 16 career starts at Martinsville, put up one top 10, and his average finish, though, at the .526-mile track, 19.4. He was 14th earlier this season. Martin Truex Jr. from Joe Gibbs Racing has had a playoff uh, roller coaster. <laughs> He's only had one top ten finish during the postseason, and now the regular season champ sits in seventh, looking at seven behind uh, Blaney, who sits in that fourth transfer spot. Uh, Truex is looking to make the championship for a round for what would be a series-leading tie-breaking sixth time in his career. Uh, he's been there in 15, 17, 18, 19, and 21. He's currently tied with Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick, as well as Kyle Busch, for the most championship or around appearances with five each. When it comes to Martinsville, uh, Truex at 43 has had his moments in the spotlight. In 35 series starts, he has three wins, 10 top fives, 16 top tens, and it has an average finish of 16.0. Uh, he finished third at Martinsville earlier this year. Now, his teammate at Joe Gibbs Racing, Denny Hamlin, he's looking to add his name to that list of fifth-time appearance in his career for the championship four, having done it in 14, 19, 2020, 20, and 21. Right now, six in the sp- uh, standing, 17 points back. Now, fortunately, the 42-year-old Hamlin at Martinsville Speedway is one of his best tracks and considered one of his home tracks. 35 career starts. The Virginia native has accumulated four poles, five wins, which is the most among active drivers, 18 top fives, and 24 top tens. Average finish is 10.3, which is the best among playoff contenders below the cut line. Hamlin's finish uh, earlier this season was fourth. 2311 uh, Racing's Tyler Reddick is hoping to advance into the championship for around this year, uh, as it would be uncharted territory not only for himself and his career, but also for his team, 2311 Racing. Uh, Car owners Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin would be a first for them as well. Reddick is currently fifth in the playoff outlook, 10 points back from Ryan Blaney. And unfortunately for Reddick, Martinsville is where they decide who will advance, uh, and it's a track that he hasn't had much luck at. Reddick has put up one top 10 finish. His average finish is 20.1, and he finished 27 at Martinsville earlier this season. Uh, That's not good news for Reddick. But let's look at the well, ones we'll that have, are above the line. 
Yeah, I was going to say, he's, a, he's in a certain uh, position there, but the two above the line are Byron and Blaney as they look to hold on. Uh, we mentioned those two, Hendrick Motorsports, William Byron is plus 30. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney is plus 10. And they'll have to be at their best this weekend to hold off the four below, trying to vie for their positions. Start with uh, William Byron, a 25-year-old at Hendrick Motorsports. They heads into the weekend as the highest-ranked competitor, not already locked into that championship four-round. Again, 30 points uh, to the good from the cut line. Now for Byron, this is his fifth appearance in the Cup Series playoffs, going back from 2023 to 2019, and it would be the first time in his career that he would advance to the championship four. The North Carolina native has made 11 series start at Martinsville, uh, collected one win, which came in April of 2022, four top fives, six top tens, average finishes at 15.1, but it was 23rd where he finished earlier this year. The other driver, a little closer to the cut line, is Team Penske's Ryan Blaney, as he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder after how he was raced at Homestead, Miami. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But now the North Carolina native sits fourth in the fourth and final spot to transfer on points to that championship four round. The 29-year-old Blaney is on the hunt for his first career appearance as well in the championship four round. Looking at Martinsville, Blaney's made 15 career starts, putting up seven top fives and nine top tens. The average finish at the historic track is 9.5, and he finished seventh earlier this season. That might be might be good enough. Okay. Uh, I'm going to skip a couple spots here and go to the clinch scenarios for the penultimate race at Martinsville this weekend. It's the last chance for the round of eight drivers to lock themselves into the final four round. Two of the coveted four spots are spoken for, thanks to Hendrick Motorsports' Kyle Larson taking the victory at Las Vegas and Christopher Bell with his victory at Homestead, Miami. So there's two spots left, and uh, we know at least one of the two spots will be claimed by a driver on points. The two drivers that uh, have already clinched, we've mentioned them, Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson with their wins. Uh, but if there is a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, these drivers can have to be ahead of the third winless driver in the standings. The same holds true if the new win comes from among William Byron or Ryan Blaney. Now, William Byron needs 26 points. Blaney needs 46. But the other drivers that are below that cut line, they all need help. They can only clinch with help, which means pretty much somebody has to have a bad day or they come up with the win. If there's a new winner from Tyler Reddick or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to that next round, these drivers can clinch by being ahead of the second winless driver in the standings. William Byron Byron needs the 36 points, but all the rest are going to need some help. And uh, if that happens, uh, meaning somebody has a bad day or they come up with the win, all of these drivers can clinch with a win. So we'll see what happens there. Um, 
I think we've pretty much covered the points, so I'm not going to go over that. Um, do you want to go ahead and cover? Let's see what we should cover here next. How about decision time? Because that's a pretty big one. All right. Uh, Again, we're talking about the cutoff race. So Martinsville Speedway, it is decision time as they're ready to set that NASCAR Cup Series Championship 4. So that time has come to decide who will make it in. And the historic 0.526-mile Martinsville Speedway will once again play host to that Cup Series playoff round of eight elimination race. That'll be the Xfinity 500 this Sunday. The 2023 season marks the 20th year Martinsville has hosted a NASCAR Cup Series playoff race and the fourth time that the track has hosted the penultimate race of the NASCAR Cup Series playoff, that round of eight elimination race, which is race nine of ten when it comes to the playoffs. Now, since the inception of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs, which came back in 2004, Martinsville Speedway has ex- occupied three distinct positions on the postseason schedule. From 04 to 2010, uh, for seven seasons, it hosted the sixth race in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Then from 2011 to 2019, for nine seasons, they hosted the seventh race in the playoffs. And from 2020 to 2023, four seasons, now five, it has hosted the ninth race in this schedule which is that round of eight elimination as we have this weekend, because it'll decide the championship four. Martinsville Speedway is the third different track to host the ninth race in the Cup Series playoffs, as it joins Darlington Raceway, who did it in 2004. And then prior to getting the championship race, Phoenix Raceway was that spot from 2005 to 2019. A total of 11 different drivers have won a NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Martinsville Speedway. As Jimmy Johnson leads that NASCAR Cup Series in postseason wins at Martinsville Speedway with six playoff victories. Those include 04, 06, 7, 8, and then 12 and 16. I mentioned Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin is the one leading all active NASCAR Cup Series drivers with the postseason wins at Martinsville with two coming in 2009 and 2010. Hamlin is joined by two other active playoff contenders that have won a playoff race, though, at Martinsville. Christopher Bell did it last year in his walk-off, 2022, and then Martin Truex back in 2019. When we look at those back, going back to 04, these are all from Martinsville. Just a quick rundown of these. Some interesting names. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, we're going to hear that one several times in 04. Jeff Gordon in 05. Then it was Johnson in 6 and 7 and 8. Denny Hamlin got his in 2009 and 10. It was Tony Stewart in 2011. Uh, Jimmy Johnson got his name again there again in 2012. Jeff Gordon did it in 2013. In 2014, it was Dale Earnhardt Jr., then Jeff Gordon back in 2015 for his final year. Jimmy Johnson again in 2016. Then 2017, here's where the names changed almost every year. Kyle Busch, 2018, it was Joey Logano. Uh, 2019, Martin Truex Jr. Chase Elliott did it in 2020. Alex Bowman in 2021. And Christopher Bell in 2022. 
three times a non-playoff driver have won the NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Martinsville. That was in 05, 14, and 21. In 2005, it was Jeff Gordon, who was ranked 15 in points, picked up a win there. In 2014, it was Dale Earnhardt Jr., who was 11th in points at the time of his win. And Junior Ed made the playoffs in 2014, but had already been eliminated in the round of 12. And in 2021, it was Alex Bowman, who was 14th in points at the time of his win at Martinsville, which again was the ninth race of the postseason. Bowman had made the playoffs, but was also eliminated in that round of 12. Now, seven times the winner of the NASCAR Cup Series playoff race at Martinsville Speedway has gone on to win the title in that same season. 2006, 7, 8, 11, 16, 18, and 20, which is tied with Homestead Miami Speedway for the series most. Let's see, in 2006, it was Jimmy Johnson. In 2007, it was Jimmy Johnson again. 2008 was also Jimmy Johnson. Let's see, who else do we have here? Tony Stewart was uh, did his in 2011. 20, or, yeah, 2016, it was Jimmy Johnson again. Looking at 2018, it was Joey Logano. And then in 2020, it was Chase Elliott. The worst finish in a playoff race at Martinsville Speedway by a driver that went on to win the title in the same season. That was 33rd by Kevin Harvick back in 2014. And that season, Martinsville Speedway was the seventh race in the playoffs. Last year, uh, Team Penske's Joey Logano finished sixth at Martinsville and then ninth in the race at the playoffs and went on to win his second career title at tw- doing it in 2018 as well as 2022. All right. Um, I'm going to go to the penultimate playoff race offers one last chance to advance. Uh, last, season, last season in a must-win situation, Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell snagged the victory in the ninth race of the playoffs and won his way into the Cup Series Championship four-round. Uh, this season, Bell won at Homestead, and Hendrick Motorsports uh, driver Kyle Larson at Las Vegas. Uh, they've already clinched their spot into the round of four, leaving those two spots up for grabs. Since the inception of the elimination style format in 2014, so for the last nine seasons, six of the last nine winners of the ninth race of the playoffs earned a spot in the championship four round with their victory. That's 66.7%. Kevin Harvick in 2014 at Phoenix, Joey Logano in 2016 at Phoenix, Kyle Busch at 2018, and Denny Hamlin in 2019, both at Phoenix. Chase Elliott did it in 2020 at Martinsville, along with Christopher Bell in 22 at Martinsville. There are 12 different drivers who won the ninth race of the Cup Series playoffs, race number 35 of 36. Jimmy Johnson in 04, 7, 8, and 9. Kevin Harvick from Stuart Haas Racing in 2006, 12, 13, and 14. They lead the Cup Series in wins in the ninth race of the postseason with four victories each. Two active contenders have won the ninth race of the postseason previously. That would be Denny Hamlin, who won at Phoenix in 2019, and Christopher Bell, 22, Martinsville. Uh, playoff drivers who won the ninth race are Jimmy, this dates from 2004 to the last season, 
uh, Jimmy Johnson in 2004, Kyle Busch in 2005, Kevin Harvick in 2006, then Jimmy Johnson did it three races in a row from 2007, 8, and 9, Carl Edwards in 2010, Casey Kane in 2011, Kevin Harvick has three in a row uh, from 2012, 13, and 14, Dale Earnhardt Jr. in 2015, Joe Logano in 16, Matt Kenseth in 17, Kyle Busch again in, in 18, Denny Hamlin in 19, Chase Elliott in 20, Alex Bowman in 21, and, of course, Christopher Bell with his 22 win. Five times, non-playoff drivers have won the ninth playoff race. That was in 2005, 11, 15, 17, and 21. It was Kyle Busch in 2005, Casey Kane in 11, Dale Earnhardt in 15, Matt Kenseth in 17, and Alex Bowman in 21. Five times the winner of the ninth race in the Cup Series playoffs has gone on to win the title that same season. It happened in 07, 08, 09, in 14, and in 20. Jimmy Johnson did it in 07, 08, and 09. Kevin Harvick in 2014, and Chase Elliott in 2020. The worst finish in the ninth race of the Cup Series playoffs, that came uh, by a driver that went on to win the title in the same season. Jimmy Johnson at Phoenix, 38th. Um, by Jimmy Johnson in 2016, at Darlington, sixth by Kyle Busch in 2004, and at Martinsville, that was a 14th-place finish by Kyle Larson in 21. To catch all the side-by-side action of the NASCAR Cup Series is known for at Martinsville. Make sure to tune in for practice and the Bushlight poll qualifying on the USA Network and MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio starting at 12.30 p.m. on Saturday, October the 28th. So um, there's a lot there to be covered. We didn't get it all, but we got quite a bit of it, Jay. And uh, we're going to be moving on now to our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Um, but uh, why don't you uh, bridge us over with a fantasy update? All right. Well, I don't know if you have uh, audio clips you can play. So, Sharon, you might have to politely clap here on a couple of them. For the truck series, uh, we got one race left. And mathematically, if Sam were to pick the race winner and Tommy were to score zero points, Sam could win it. But other than that, Tommy has a 152 to 135 point lead, which is 17 points. So, Sam, best of luck to you. If not, we'll politely uh, applaud Tommy there for picking up the uh, Truck Series championship here for the Fan for Racing Fantasy Group. (laughs) On the Xfinity side, this one at least has a little bit of competition. Sharon, you're at 188. Andy at 174. Brian at 164. And those three of you, I believe all mathematically with two races left, uh, 36-point difference. Yeah, because I'm fourth at 148. That would put me a little short. So the Xfinity Series between you three, Sharon, Andy, and Brian, uh, I rank at 148, Tommy 141. I just wanted to point out I was ahead of Mike. All right, we'll move to the Cup Series. <laughs> um, this one, again, mathematically, 
we'll say five, but realistically two. James is at 229. Sharon, you're at 200. With two races left, there's 36 points available. I take that back. It is just two because uh, Brian and Tommy at 197, that would only put them at 233. No, they still could. It would be four points over two races. James would have to not score four points over two races. So Brian and Tommy, you have that slight mathematical opportunity, but essentially it's come down to Sharon and James, and honestly, James has just absolutely controlled the Cup Series this year. Uh, slacked a little bit, had a couple of hiccups for us to even have anybody close enough to him. And the overall, Sharon, you are leading that at 518 Tommy's at 490, Brian 478 along with Andy. And I believe those top five there is where the mathematical uh, pretty much ends. James is at 444, but with just under 100 points remaining, he would have to get all of them and Sharon get none. So Sharon, Tom, Brian, and Andy looking to be your four in the overall. And I'm not ahead of Mike on that one. I'm second to last. <laughs> Uh, well, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, we've got two more races left, and a lot can happen. I know some people are positioning themselves for the pick <laughs> for next week, and uh, we'll see how that all works out. Um, but we are at the top of the hour, and it is now time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and I believe that we have Mike with us at this point. So welcome to the show, Mike. You believe correctly. hey good to be here. And I cannot believe that you would think that I'm somehow sandbagging by taking B.J. McLeod in the Cup Series. Uh, with that paint scheme on there, he absolutely cannot lose. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Uh, you might be right. But that is a uh, very slim mite. Uh, now, also joining us uh, for today is going to be uh, Brian Eberly. He's not here yet, but I'm going to send him a text message real quick. So, Mike, why don't you uh, start us off with the first hot topic while I message uh, Brian? Sure, not a problem. We had big silly season news yesterday. A couple weeks ago, it was announced that uh, Sheldon Creed would not be returning to the number two at Richard Childress race in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. It wasn't announced at that time who would be filling in, but yesterday we found out that Jesse Love is going to be taking the Ty Gibbs path and moving straight from the championship of the Arkham Menard Series all the way to the Xfinity Series in the RCR number two. Now, the other big part of this piece is Jesse Love currently drives for Toyota, and Toyota is now losing a development driver as Love moves over to a Chevrolet with Richard Childress Racing. Okay, Brian, uh, I'm hoping you heard all of that. Uh, what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I caught just the end there on, on Jesse Love moving to um, to RCR. Um, yeah, I think not necessarily something I'd heard or necessarily expected, but it's not like even Jesse himself wasn't necessarily expecting that. I think from the quote in the releases, they were working on a deal with Toyota, and I think that kind of came together with RCR. So I think uh, a good move for him. Well, I mean, obviously he – dominated the ARCA season statistically, although I think we're all aware the competition level in ARCA these days isn't quite as great as it used to be. He still did go out there and win 10 races, and, you know, several people around the industry think he's pretty impressive. I like his dirt background and just how much Kyle Busch has gotten into dirt racing with Brexton and himself. I think they can make an interesting pairing and hopefully, you know, get along really well and, and help develop him as well. So I think pretty good move for him, and I don't know if you guys touched on it already in the early part of the show, but 
another kind of Toyota driver that, that feels like it got away anyway. It feels like a, a lot of guys come up through the TRD program and then end up in the Ford and or Chevrolet camps. Yeah, there seems to be a little competition going on there. Yeah, I mean, second, second Toyota guy RCR has gotten, right? Cal Bush, now Jesse Wilde. So um, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But uh, So it would be great to see him in the Xfinity Series. Um, you know, obviously jumping up over the truck series. Xfinity's definitely a big step up in competition over what the ARCA Racing Series is these days. But, um, you know, he's got great background, great pedigree. I think it um, be, be fun to watch, and hopefully he still gets to go out and, and do some dirt racing and stuff as well with his schedule. I think he will on, on like, Again, in the Toyota program at Gibbs, right, Bell's limited and isn't allowed to do any dirt racing under, under current conditions. So I think, uh, you know, allowing him to open that up, maybe that could have been another, just completely speculating, but another reason for him to kind of make that move as well. If you see, you know, guys like Bell getting limited um, by Toyota and what they can do outside of the Cup Series, I think uh, a great move. And obviously we've seen how well it's worked for, for other guys that are, are running dirt and running other races in addition to their current schedules aside from, you know, injuries and things like that. Okay. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I think I can speak for everybody here, just what we've heard already. If, you know, if, if this is a surprise to you, or, you know, you saw this comment, I guess, raise your hand. We're on the radio. You can't see it anyway. But, yeah, this was a shock, I, I really believe not necessarily going to the Xfinity series directly, although I thought it was a truck deal that was in the works, um, as Brian mentioned, uh, of with Toyota, but I thought it was on the truck series side. Um, but the, going to the Xfinity series doesn't surprise me. We saw that with Joe Gibbs. Uh, he didn't, or not Joe Gibbs, Ty Gibbs, sorry, of not going into the trucks. Um, and that's worked out well for him. So that doesn't surprise me sticking within the stock car realm. Moving over to Richard Childress Racing, that's where it blows me away when we talked about Sheldon Creed stepping out of that car or leaving that team as it was announced uh, last week or the week before. We didn't really have a whole lot of knowledge as to who would come into that. I don't think anybody had Jesse Love on their radar of even the possibility uh, that we threw out there as a, a way out there random. So I'm happy for him. I think he can do great things in the Xfinity series. Like I said, we've seen Ty Gibbs um, do that. I don't think the truck series is necessarily a half-to stepping stone anymore like it used to be in the past. Um, It does help, especially on some of the tracks. But we've seen the talent that Ty Gibbs and now Jesse Love have. Uh, I'm just still kind of just blown away by Toyota, use the phrase, letting slip away. So... Not sure what what their mentality is there. Yeah, it's been an interesting competition going on there uh, with uh, different uh, drivers going to different uh, manufacturers. And uh Is anybody else here, Sharon? Yeah, I still am. I, I lost Sharon. I do not. Mid sentence. All right. I'm trying to see if she messages if she got disconnected. 
So, yeah, it appears though Sharon maybe got uh, disconnected if she's calling back in. Mike, you want to give your uh, thoughts here while she's coming back on? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, like you said, it was a big surprise to see Jesse Love end up in this ride. I don't know that it's necessarily a surprise to see him end up in an Xfinity Series car. We saw Ty Gibbs do the same thing. We're seeing Carson Hosevar make the jump from the Truck Series directly into the Cup Series. And I don't know that anybody really expects Carson Hosevar to have a substantial learning curve, or at least substantially worse than if he had done a year or two in Xfinity before moving into the Cup Series. I think, like you said, Jay, that necessary progression ladder where you have to start at ARCA and then you have to go to the trucks, have to go to Xfinity before you have a chance of being competitive in Cup, I don't really think that fits anymore. And it's not really a surprise to see another driver, in this case Jesse Love, skip a series in order to move into another rung higher uh, on that progression ladder. As far as moving over to Richard Childress Racing, that is a big surprise. And the bigger question here is, obviously he's going into RCR number two now, but what would be the next step for him after that? Richard Childress Racing at the Cup Series level is most likely full for the foreseeable future. We've got Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch in the two RCR cars, and there hasn't been any indication that RC is looking to expand into a third Cup Series car. Now there's been speculation that maybe Austin Dillon would step away into a management role at Richard Childress Racing, but then that brings up the question of the other RCR Xfinity Series driver, Austin Hill. He hasn't been struggling. He was the regular series champion in the Xfinity Series this year, and is still in contention for the overall championship with two races remaining on the season. So it's not like Austin Hill is slacking to the point where we think he's going to get let go or knocked out of the pipeline to eventually move into a potential Richard Childress Cup Series car. So what does that mean for Jesse Love? We really don't know. Um, Looking at the broader Chevrolet picture, they also don't appear to have any imminent openings, whereas Toyota did. Right now, Toyota has two drivers in Martin Truex and Denny Hamlin who are both at so-called retirement age in in their early to mid-40s, which is traditionally the age that we tend to see drivers step away from the sport. We know Martin Truex is on a year-to-year position where he's he's coming back next year, but 2025 and beyond is still a big question mark. We don't know what the future holds for Martin Truex. Denny Hamlin did just sign a multi, quote-unquote, multi-year deal with Joe Gibbs Racing, but at the same time, he also owns his own Cup Series team, and again, is at that age where he might retire. So we're looking at two potential Toyota rides. So the fact that Toyota would let a development prospect like Jesse Love get away is a bit of a head-scratcher, especially with openings at the Joe Gibbs Racing Xfinity Series level. You would figure if Jesse Love were to move into an Xfinity Series ride, you would be a good fit for one of those open JGR Xfinity Series cars, but that's just not what happened. What the big picture is for, for moving on in 2025 and beyond, I really don't know. But I think this actually throws more mud in the water than anything else, where we really don't know what the development pipeline looks like now. What, what appeared to be somewhat clear or at least you know, easy to speculate about just became a lot harder to figure out. So I don't know what that means. Okay. Can you guys hear me now? Hello? Yeah, Can you hear you. me? Oh, yep. okay. I, I hear wasn't, you. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get into uh, my thoughts then. Uh, I, I do think that there is a competition going on, a manufacturer's competition going on for some of these top drivers. And um, uh, kudos to RCR for not letting any grass grow under their feet. Uh, to grab up Jesse Love. We've been watching Jesse Love through his ARCA racing career, and he has been phenomenal when you consider he won 
10 of 20 races. He won half of the races in the Arkham Art Series this season. Uh, he's been phenomenal, and uh, I can't wait to see what he does in the Xfinity Series. Uh, I agree with all of you. It's a head-scratcher as to why Toyota would let this driver slip out of their grasp, but they have done that, and, and maybe it was Jesse Love who saw an opportunity and, and uh, really wanted to race for RCR. I'm not sure, but uh, I can't wait to watch it uh, unfold next season and uh, to see what he does. He's, he's been uh, a quick study. Uh, he, he knows his competition, and he knows how to race his competition, and uh, we'll see what happens at RCR in the Xfinity Series next year. I can't wait to see him head-to-head uh, with Austin uh, in that series. Uh, I guess we'll go to Brian next. All right, are, we, are we wrapping up that one, or are we going with a new topic? No, this is the uh, second round. Okay. Yeah, no, I think all great points. I think everyone's made, I think, definitely kind of a little bit of a war on talent between the manufacturers. I think, um, you know, it's just great to see Jesse get the opportunity and kind of see how what he's able to do next year. And I'm, I'm excited to watch. I think, uh, you know, RCR has made some, some decent moves, I think, um, the last couple of years to, to build up their talent pool and hopefully be a little bit more competitive than they were in the past. Kyle came out and won three races for him, at least earlier in the year. I feel like he's been a little bit of a, a struggle in the back half of the season. Um, and then, you know, kind of a bummer to see Sheldon Creed leave. I, I think he had a lot of potential from his ARCA days. Um, so we'll see where he lands next year. But I think having kind of, you know, Austin Hill and now Jesse Love in their Xfinity Series cars next year will, will be a, a, a good a good point, a good place for the team. Okay. Well, and now I'm trying to try, – I was trying to look back to see if the Sheldon Creed to JGR – um, was heavily rumored and linked anyway. Uh, I know Matt Weaver, I think, at Short Track Scene had tied that in. So that's where we're expecting them to go. And, and that adds to Toyota, when we, when I look at it anyway, it's from that manufacturer battle that Sharon was talking about. They went back, bought out Chandler Smith to bring him back to Toyota rather than someone they invested in. And I just I wish I knew the whole story, I guess, because – that just uh, not that Chandler Smith isn't a talent. We've seen that, and he is one that I feel is like Sheldon Creed, building on where they were at. To can't say deny or would deny an opportunity to move over to Joe Gibbs Racing. I know Mike and I have talked about that when it comes to the Xfinity Series. Got to be listed as one of the top, if not the top, organization. Um, but for them to then completely let. Jesse Love go uh, to Chevrolet. Again, thought it was going to be in a truck series. Maybe uh, Jesse Love, his agent, they didn't want to be in the truck series. Don't know um, when it comes to that. But we've seen this of drivers that have gone over to Chevrolet even for a year or two. Mike talked about the long term at Richard Childress Racing. Maybe one of those of down the road that, that Jesse Love returns to Toyota. We've seen it with now Eric Jones. Um, as Legacy Motor Club ch- changes over to Toyota, come back. They bought out the contract for Chandler Smith to get him back into Toyota. Maybe that's their thought process, but I can tell you this, sometimes it don't work. I think Hendrick Motorsports at one time really thought they were going to get Brad Keselowski back from Ford, and that hasn't happened. So could bite him, bite him in the long run. But I look forward to Richard Childress Racing. 
Uh, I know Mike said he was talking about the long-term plan. Don't know what Austin Dillon, he did show some management uh, role uh, with bringing Kyle Busch over. So I don't see him necessarily stepping away, but we have seen RCR run a third car on occasion for Austin Hill, and we know he was possibly close to moving up um, or being at least one that was considered under a Chevrolet-partnered RCR team with Colleg Racing. So to have that competition now, I still think Austin Hill gets the edge. He's in the championship uh, for or looking to go into the championship for this year and, and contend for the championship. Jesse Love, obviously, I know we talked about the talent he has, certainly can spend two to three years. Still be 2021 20, um, after spending three years in the Xfinity. So we don't have to look to the immediate future, but still got to look down the road. All right. Um, I was just thinking about this. I know we're all scratching our head about some of these moves that are happening. Um, I'm going to bring up another scenario that is certainly a possibility, uh, although it might be an outside possibility, and that is that maybe these guys are negotiating with one another over these drivers uh, behind the scenes. We never really know how these things come about. And uh, I don't think it would surprise me if we were to find out that maybe uh, people like Donnie Wilson, who I think is very uh, good with his people skills and, and very good at negotiating, um, I could see Donnie Wilson sitting down and making negotiations with Chevy, and that's where some of these things are coming about. But um, it, it, I don't know that to be the case. I'm just speculating here. Uh, and just saying it wouldn't surprise me if maybe they aren't behind the scenes making these negotiations. So uh, I'll let you mull on a little bit. Uh, it's an outside chance, I agree. But, uh, I also think it's a possibility. So, Mike, what are your final thoughts? You bring up a really good point about there maybe being second and third level negotiations here. And what we see announced right now might not be the entirety of the story of what the plans are over the next several years. Well, they only announced that he's going to be in the car going into the 2024 season. Like you said, we don't know what that means as far as does he have a deal to come back to Toyota at some point when a Toyota seat opens up in, say, the Cup Series, one of those two drivers that I talked about in my first reply. Uh, perhaps there is a deal in place where uh, – Jesse Love is more or less on loan to Chevrolet. Now, again, this, the deal was not characterized as any kind of a loan or anything like that. I want to make that clear. But there may be some sort of a handshake deal where uh, Jesse Love is on loan to Chevrolet with the idea that he, he does have the right of return to Toyota at some point when a seat becomes available. We just don't know. Um, just looking forward to the 2024 season, it's only good for Jesse Love. That's absolutely sure. Uh, that RCR number two is very good. Sheldon Creed was knocking on the door. Uh, he's got one, two more opportunities to do it, but so far has not gotten into victory lane with that car. But he's, he's shown a whole lot of potential winning races, and I think the speed is there in that car. Um, just because Jesse won 10 races in the, in the uh, Arkham Menard series, I wouldn't start penciling him into uh, to being that dominant in the Xfinity series. Remember, uh, the Arkham Menard series is somewhat weak, while the Xfinity series is much, much stronger. So, uh, don't don't expect it to him to light the world on fire in Xfinity. Let's be fair to the guy here, and that's nothing against him. It's just remember the the level of competition in the Xfinity series is substantially higher uh, than today's Arkham Menard series. Um, 
real interesting to see how it goes. I think that uh, that RCR number two will be a contender with Jesse Love behind the wheel, especially after a few weeks after he starts getting some uh, some seat time in it and getting a little bit more comfortable. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jesse Love take that number two car to victory lane and probably more than once. So real excited for his prospects for 2024. All right. We'll move on to a new hot topic. And, Brian, it's your turn. What are we going to talk about? All right, I think uh, well, let's go with um, the comments that came out this week from uh, 2311 President Steve Aletta on kind of wanting NASCAR teams to stop selling sponsorships on a per-race basis, saying it leads to brands undervaluing certain aspects of a team's marketing platform. So very kind of curious comments and interesting, in my opinion, kind of hearing hear what the, what the table thinks. All right, it is a, a curious topic. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, we hear this on Sirius. I hear it on Sirius XM all the time of, we don't go back in the day. Back in the day, you had one sponsor for one team that was, <coughs> excuse me, the brand of that organization as a whole. You just don't see that anymore. Uh, there's very few, and Denny Hamlin with uh, FedEx and Joe Gibbs Racing would be one of the remaining ones that I think covers majority of one team. Even Napa with uh, Chase Elliott, uh, he still has, I believe, five different sponsors that cover him. I just, it's not realistic anymore. That I understand where they're coming from of the more you undercut and offer one race deals, especially to some of these other teams that will do it on a one race per year um, just to get enough funding to be on the track. They got to do what they got to do. on paper, yes, you'd like to have it where you have the security of a certain amount for a package deal of the season team aspect, but it's just not realistic in today's economics um, for whatever the reason. And I won't even get into that of what sponsors feel the value is when matching up when it comes to this of sponsoring a, a team. Um, I know back uh, even a few years ago, and I'm trying to think of the spot, I think it was the U.S. Army when they left the uh, NASCAR sport for the same amount that they could get, say five to 10 races, they could sponsor an entire NHAR team for the entire year for even less money than that. So I think that's some of where that comes in is that sponsors are looking to where they can invest the same amount of money for just as much exposure. And we've seen that when it comes to the NASCAR's title um, for the series, we haven't had a, a title sponsor for the series for several years now for that same reason. So I just don't see it happening as much as you'd like it. And I know for fans too, you invested in it as, as again, and I'm, I'm a Jeff Gordon fan. So I'd say the DuPont team, you know, that's what it was. It was the DuPont team. Um, when it came to that, I just, we're not going to see that in this day and age uh, any longer. Okay. Mike. I'm really glad Jay didn't steal my phrase here. And the phrase that I used in our chat group when this first came up was, I don't disagree, but this feels a lot like him. He's telling beggars to be choosers, right? And like Jay said, the current sponsorship climate is such that it's just pretty much impossible for one single sponsor to cover an entire Cup Series schedule. And that's, there's two different forces here pulling in opposite directions, right? On one end, you've got the astronomical cost of NASCAR Cup Series racing. Jay kind of covered it where – 
NASCAR Cup Series racing is one of the most, I think it's the most expensive motorsport in the United States and probably second in the world to Formula One. And I'm just guessing here, so don't quote me on that, but I believe that uh, NASCAR Cup Series racing is, is one of the most expensive series to run in the entire world in terms of the cost per season to do it. Um, so that's one side of that. And the other side of it is a lot of these big companies simply don't have the advertising budget, or at least not the budget that they're willing to commit in order to fund these increasingly expensive NASCAR Cup Series teams. So you have these two different forces pulling in opposite directions, and what we're left with is this patchwork of sponsorship that we see on the vast majority of cars, not just in the NASCAR Cup Series, but also in the Xfinity and Truck Series. Um, even in those lower-tier series, there are very few sponsors that cover every single race for a given driver or team. Um, even guys like Riley Herbst, that's family money that's coming from his family's uh, chain of um, of convenience stores out in the West. That That is not Monster Energy cutting a check. That is a, basically an in-kind deal between the Herbst family and Monster Energy, and that's why that sponsor is on their car every single week is because of that deal. It's not like Monster Energy is directly sponsoring that car. And that you know, it goes down from there. There are very, very few, even in the lower tier series, where you have a consistent sponsor that is not directly tied to the driver or the family of the driver that is on the car every single week just because of how expensive it is, even in the lower tier series. So I don't necessarily disagree with the sentiment that was expressed about, hey, we want to improve the brand loyalty, kind of like the discussion we had last week about uh, improving the the, the, the team aspect of what the fans follow. We want the fans to follow the team. We want them to support the overall racing team as opposed to the individual driver. Well, part of that is the branding. But unfortunately, in the current financial climate, it's almost impossible to put something like that together. That's why I'm really hopeful that with the 2025 and beyond TV rights deal and the charter agreement deal that goes along with it, we're able to figure out some sort of a revenue model that makes it a little bit more feasible for uh, these sponsors, especially smaller sponsors, to get a bigger piece of the pie and get their name out there without having the exorbitant cost of supporting what it, uh, the current budget of a NASCAR Cup Series team. So, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a nice idea, but it only goes beyond the good idea phase. I think it, 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 that's one of those ways it's going to crash up against the rocks of reality, and, and, and that's just how it's going to be. Yeah, you guys uh, do a good job of making the case here. Um, I think this is a tough one to crack uh, for all of the reasons that you guys have already brought up. There's no point in me repeating that. But I, I, I've got to wonder if there isn't something more to it. I think it's interesting that Jeff Gordon brought it up last week that he thinks there should be more loyalty to team branding. Um, and fans follow the team versus the driver. Uh, they don't lose that fan. That fan stays with the team, just like other sports. If In basketball, if the drivers are, you still follow the team. You don't change. You don't follow that uh, player to a different team. So that's what they're looking to do from that perspective. And now you've got the 2311 that they need to stop selling sponsorship on a per race basis. Um, and, and on the surface, yeah, it, it does make you kind of scratch your head and say, um, why would he do that? Because there's so many teams out there that are struggling to get sponsorship, uh, put in quotes, colleague racing right now. 
Um, and and he's running out of money to fund these teams himself, so he's going to go after every little bit of sponsorship he can get, um, whether it's one race, two races, or whatever the span is. Uh, they're going to try to snap that up. So it does make me kind of scratch my head why he would say this, but I'm wondering, Brian, uh, you're a numbers guy. Do you know something that we're not catching on to here? <laughs> well, that's a thought? great question. I, I would I would love to have more insight and data on the numbers and the contracts and these agreements with teams to to look at and analyze and play around with. But what I just find interesting is, is Steve in 2311 is saying this, but like my, my thought and what's head scratching is like, all right, 2311, if that's what you think, then you guys lead the way and show us how to make it work, right? I just did a, a quick count. <laughs> Bubba Wallace has had six different primary sponsors this year in the team's number 23 car. And I stopped counting on Reddick once I got to 10. I think he's had 10-plus different primary sponsors. So 2311 themselves can't make it work, but they're saying, oh, this is what teams should do. I do think it's just it's way too tough. You know, it's whatever, 20 million-plus to – sponsor a team for a full season, maybe even more at this point. Like there's just marketing departments aren't going to cut a check that big because they're just not seeing that big of a return on that investment and, or they're just diversifying their investments across, you know, so many different things. There's just so many different platforms out there for content and what consumers are watching that feel like everyone's spreading their money out more. You know, like you said, FedEx might be the, and FedEx doesn't even sponsor every single race on Hamlin Soda anymore, but like, you just don't have that anymore where, you know, a couple weeks ago I was at the um, Oktoberfest race weekend at Lacrosse Motor Speedway and they had a racing memorabilia show there and you're just kind of walking through and you know, looking at all the old die casts of, you know, Mark Martin having Valvoline all year, Rusty Wallace having Miller Lite all year, Jeff Gordon having DuPont all year. And yet you associated those sponsors with the driver just as much as, as you know, anything else. And, and now you don't really do that, right? I mean, even look at, like you said, I think Jay mentioned it, Chase Elliott. NASCAR's most popular driver, and he's got four or five different primary sponsors throughout the season between um, Napa and Hooters and, and, and a few others. So it's just no no team and or sponsor seems to be making that work. So I, I do agree it does give more brand loyalty and, and and things like that where, you know, now it's it's hard to even see most weeks, like which who's sponsoring who. Um, I, I guess it gives teams a little bit more during the week to do with their big paint scheme reveals and stuff like that, but it also kind of takes away the specialness of it when it's every week there's just different teams and cars where I, I'm sure you guys all remember, like, back to the All-Star race, they used to run all these special schemes all the time, and that would be so exciting in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it's like, oh, man, look at these schemes these guys are running. Now it's like, yeah, every week is somebody's running something different. It just kind of takes away away that uniqueness. So, yeah, I think it's it's a great idea, but I just don't see from a number standpoint where – that's going to work for any team in just today's not only NASCAR environment, but just general business environment. Okay, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry, Jay. Jay is next. Well, and that goes back to, of, and, and I think of my mom, of, yes, a race fan, not of an in-depth as I am, but I wouldn't categorize her as a casual fan either. But even for her, being a fan of, and I'll just use Chase Elliott. I know it's one of hers. You know, there's weeks where she messages me. She's like, hey, where's Chase Elliott? You know, what car is he in? Still the number nine, but, yeah, you got to pick out that different paint scheme um, or whatever. And that goes back to that, as Brian put it, of, yeah, when you thought Dale Earnhardt, you thought Goodwrench. When you thought um, Richard Petty, STP. 
like I said, unfortunately, and we saw this uh, last year already with M&Ms when they left Joe Gibbs Racing or were leaving the sport, Joe Gibbs Racing wanted to have that one brand and couldn't do it for Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch went over to RCR. Yes, he has three or four different sponsors, but that put him on the track. He's winning. So what do you do? Um, have one sponsor that will cover a team or driver that's not necessarily winning. And I know I'm going to lead into Mike here uh, going off on a ramp, but sponsor that way or take only four or five races on a team slash driver that is. So, I, you know, I don't have the books and I don't have to do it, but it's one of those of, and I think back, I can't remember where it originally came from, but I'll go back to drivers or team owners, James Finch, Felix Sabatis, and that's what I think is the one I remember hearing him say it. You want to make a million dollars in racing, start with two million. Well, I think you got to start with even more than that now to make a million. So um, got to do what you got to do to have the car or vehicle on the track. Okay, Mike. But Jay kind of hit it, right? You got to do what you got to do in order to keep the, the car on the racetrack. I'm sure everybody, team owners, drivers, fans, obviously, all of us would love to go back to the era where we only had that one sponsor because that was the identity of not just the driver but the overall team. Um, and 20, 30 years later, we still associate those classic drivers, and you guys rattled off a couple names there, with their, their primary sponsor who was the vast majority, if not the entire season, year after year after year for these drivers, and that's just simply not the case anymore. Given the cost and given the nature of business spending, it's just not realistic, and teams are in the position where they have to take what they can get. Um, Like I said in my first reply, I really hope that the new revenue model that comes with the new TV deal and the charter arrangement is able to move the needle a little bit, and maybe we can move away from it a little bit more and get back to that unified identity that we see with the teams not only will that help with the the brand identity for these individual teams and drivers but it also will help uh drivers like aj allmendinger uh be able to earn rides based on merit and performance as opposed to just the amount of money that they could bring to the table with personal sponsorship uh, i'm not going to get into the rant that jay threatened we threatened you all with but that's kind of kind of what i'm hoping for here so we'll have to wait and see what happens but th- you know this is idealistic at best and unrealistic at worst Yes, I agree with all of you in in what you're saying here, but I'm trying to think out of the box here and why these two uh, individuals have both come up with with kind of odd statements at the time that they are. And here's what I'm thinking. NASCAR went to, instead of one title sponsor for the year, you now have uh, the official partners of or the official marketing teams Uh, that are supporting NASCAR throughout the year. And you have races that are sponsored by GEICO or or whatever their other uh, partners are. I think it's possible that these two statements are coming out with the idea that teams, rather than recruiting sponsors for individual drivers, what if they recruited sponsors for the team? And then the team decides how that sponsorship money is distributed among the drivers that they have. Uh, and, and it's left up to the team then to decide who carries which sponsor for particular races. So instead of having uh, different drivers come 
to the organization with money, Riley Earps is a good example, maybe that's for the team, and then the team decides how that money is distributed. That would eliminate, uh, to some degree, <laughs> I don't know if it will eliminate it completely, uh, the pay drivers that we've been kind of talking about. So, for instance, RCR has, uh, an, an, let's say, um, Let's say Stuart Haas Racing. They've got the monster uh, sponsor with uh, Riley Earps, but instead of branding that to Riley Earps, maybe they brand it to Stuart Haas Racing is the monster energy team. Uh, and maybe that's what they're looking at here as uh, a new model uh, similar to what we were talking about a few years ago when we saw NASCAR moving away from a one sponsorship for the year, uh, title sponsor, they moved to, to four to six different sponsors for the year. Maybe that's what they're looking at doing with these teams now. Uh, it's going to be a shift. It's a paradigm shift for all of us, no doubt. But maybe it makes more sense uh, to brand the team with those sponsors versus the individual drivers. And maybe the drivers carry all of those brands. Uh, let's say, for example, you know, if you've got a team with three drivers, maybe in this particular race all three drivers carry that brand, or maybe throughout the season all of those three teams carry all of those brands uh, simultaneously, that sounds a little ridiculous depending on how many brands they have. But I, I think it's a paradigm shift for us. It's something that I think they've already thought it through, and that's why they're kind of planting these seeds out here for us. But I think that could be the paradigm shift that's uh, taking place before our eyes here. So we'll see if that uh, falls out, if it comes to be a reality for us, but I think they got to do something different because otherwise we're going to lose these teams that cannot pull in the sponsorship they need for some of these talented drivers. And we've got a lot of talented drivers that can't get the sponsorship, and we want to see them on the track, but maybe this is the way to do it. Maybe it goes to the team sponsorship, not the driver sponsorship. Just a thought and food for thought for everybody. Brian, what are your thoughts? I think it's a really interesting um, think outside the box thought that you had and something that I hadn't thought of. So I kind of love that idea and perspective. Um, I definitely agree with the point that I feel like something's got to change in everything. And I do think with the new TV deal, that may change some things around a little bit um, as, as we get into that. I don't know if that'll be for the good or the bad or indifferent. Um, but I do think too, just with these different ownership groups now, right? You've got Justin Marks and Pitbull and, you know, just access to kind of, you know, different sponsors' interactions with the Pitbull. And we've seen it with, you know, the Jordan brand being on the car and Jordan involved and sponsors maybe wanting to get involved with Jordan and Jeff Gordon kind of moving up into much more of a, a leadership role within Hendrick Motorsports. Got a lot of different changes around in ownership groups, and I think that's going to potentially bring, you know, some new thoughts and some new ways of doing business and hopefully for the good um, of everything. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think just it, it, it it's – Overall, it just feels like there's something missing from kind of the iconic sponsorships to some of these rivalries we've had before in the past. Like, there just needs to be something there, I feel like, that really kind of hits home and gets, you know, more of your casual fan 
invested on a week-to-week basis again, kind of like it was back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, and maybe we're all just pining for the old days and that's never going to happen, but I do think something kind of needs to change because it is just getting, you know, so super tight, and I, I think everyone thought this next-gen car was going to lower costs and, and, and be this savior, and at least from what, you know, my probably limited knowledge of everything, it doesn't really seem like that's done what it was intended to do, so I think you got to look at, you know, other avenues and things that kind of change things up and, and kind of change the game, if you will. Okay. Uh, Jay, you're next up for our next topic. Your thoughts? Well, I know we talked about this at the, at the short track level, and I mentioned that we also had it here at the uh, cup level, or at the NASCAR's top three. Let me find out where, where I posted here. Uh, there was a total of seven penalties over NASCAR's top three series after Homestead. Let me see if I can pull up and run through which what they all were real quick. All right. Uh, let's see. On the Cup Series side, it was Ryan Newman, 10000 for not having proper protective clothing. In the Xfinity Series, it was Charles Street, crew chief for playoff driver Austin Hill, suspended uh, for a race and fined 10000 The car had two, two loose lug nuts. Ratcliffe, Jason Ratcliffe, 5,000, one loose lug nut on the 19 truck at, or 19 car, and then two crew members from CHK were suspended from two Xfinity races after the number 74 car lost a wheel, and time adjusting the number 98 team, this one included points, uh, violation of the front suspension. Overall, though, just, okay, here's last one was Crucci for the number 15 and truck and Jacob Hampton that one was for another lug nut thought there was more there oh we had one reinstated from suspension but Matt Nelson also indefinitely suspended under the substance abuse policy so it ranged in uh, in the series and the penalties but just seemed like a big rash over one weekend okay Mike your thoughts well I'm not going to really put too, too much concern into the lug nut penalties. That's just one of those things that happen up to and including the, the wheel coming off. Obviously, we don't want to see it, and that's why it's a penalty. But in terms of overall concern about guys getting caught doing something, that's not really a big deal. What caught my attention was Ty Majeski in the 98. Uh, they had that disqualification – I'm sorry, not a disqualification, just a significant penalty uh, a few weeks ago for having an infraction with the tires. Remember, they had those illegal valve stems on the tires. And then here's the 98 again poking the bear – and they catch another penalty, in this case for a suspension violation. One of the shocks was out of specification. Um, we didn't get a whole lot of details yet as to exactly what it was. I'm sure we'll get a little bit more here coming into Phoenix. But it kind of caught my attention that 98 team got caught again doing some shenanigans. And this wasn't just a mistake of we forgot to hit all the lug nuts, we didn't get them all tight or something like that. Those, those kind of penalties are, I would classify them as mistakes. Nobody intentionally leaves lug nuts unsecured. Nobody intentionally has a car, a wheel come off the car because obviously that is self-penalizing uh, by, on its own with the, the loss of track position and potential damage to the race car. So that's not a, not a huge penalty. But you don't show up to the racetrack with illegal shocks by mistake. And here's the 98 team again playing some games. And I'm actually surprised they didn't catch a harder penalty. It was, I think it was only a 10-point penalty that they got. You would figure with being a repeat offender like that, especially for a pretty significant violation, that it would be a higher penalty. But here we are. As far as the substance abuse, you really hate to see it. Uh, it was Chris. 
Chris Hacker, I believe, was the one reinstated. So I'm glad that he's on his road back to sobriety. He made a post on Twitter a couple of days ago where he talks about he's clean and sober. I think it was 79 days at the time of the post. So congratulations to him. Uh, I really hope that he's able to continue on his journey to sobriety and put that substance abuse issues behind him. And it's always a shame when you see uh, drivers or crew members fall into that, that trap of substance abuse, whether it be alcohol, drugs, or a combination thereof. So anybody who's, who's struggling with those demons, I wish you the very, very best of luck to you. Um, so that's really my take on this penalty piece. I'm not sure I have a whole lot to add there other than just kind of, you know, seconding what you guys had said about, you know, wishing everyone the best with substance abuse issues um, as well as I'm, I'm curious what, what productive gear Newman didn't have. I didn't see any details on that, but he would think a, a veteran like that wouldn't be missing any sort of gear anymore. Um, but you know, he, I, uh, he re- I think he, he removed his head sock at a, a time when he wasn't allowed to do so. I'm not sure what the exact details <laughs> that had to do with the head sock that they wear underneath the helmet. Gotcha. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Well, good to know. So, yeah, I don't know if I have much else to add there, but I think, you know, just echo the thoughts of, of everyone else on the panel. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same spot there, Mike. You did a good job of uh, kind of outlining. Uh, I'm not too concerned about the other uh, penalties that are on here. <clears throat> Happy for Chris Hacker and also for uh, Mr. Nelson, uh, Matthew Nelson, who's going through the substance abuse uh, program to uh, – hopefully return at some point in the future. Um, But I I wish both of them the very best. But it's interesting that this time majesty uh, penalty is kind of buried in amongst all these other penalties. I know they all happened and they have to be listed. But, yeah, that's the one that's most concerning to me as well, is that the 98 team uh, recently penalized uh, previously, uh, for their tire violation, and now they have this suspension violation. Uh, and I like Ty Majeski. It's just sad that his team is doing these things um, because I really feel if they left him alone and just gave him a good car to race, they could probably be in the final four drivers. He was doing really great there for a while. Of course, we don't know how many violations they might have had before that uh, that got him to those places. But Ty Majewski is a good driver, and it's a shame uh, to put this cloud over him uh, with these uh, violations uh, for a front suspension found during the pre-race inspection. Um, To me, it always shows a lack of confidence in the driver when they do these kind of things uh, because they're saying, in essence, they're saying, we don't think you can do it on your own, so we're going to try to do these things to help you uh, to make sure that you race well. Um, have confidence in your driver and don't do that. I know these guys are smart people. Uh, I know that they um, that they can be, be within the, you know, thousandths of an inch one way. They can be thousandths of the inch on the right side of things. So um, I, I just wish they wouldn't do it. Uh, I wish they would have more faith and trust in their drivers and let them race uh, for um, these wins. So that's just my little rant. I'll go to Jay next. Well, and to highlight what what we covered earlier uh, when we first started the show with the short track news, that one involved uh, one of them was uh, the championship battle, but then also one was uh, disagreement between drivers, um, 
And yeah. I mentioned that of you're at the end of the season. Ty Majeski's teams in the playoff want to advance, uh, you know, that final little competition edge, do what they can to advance. You're getting under that pressure, the pressure. And unfortunately, and I don't want to use it as an excuse for anybody, but the length of the season, the level of competition, the pressure, uh, that's generally what tends to lead to substance abuse as well. And you guys have hit on that really well. Uh, I like the fact that the program NASCAR has, they give them the opportunity to return, as we've uh, seen um, with Chris Hacker, of being able to uh, improve himself and come back. So NASCAR does a great job with that. Uh, again, you've got to be accountable, hold them accountable, take them out for the time period, but gives them that opportunity to return as well going through whatever program they've set or outlined. Um, so I like that. The competition, though, level on the track, whether it be, and I mentioned with the uh, uh, race season, you've been battling these guys for how many weeks and, you know, things just get to a boiling point. And I don't know if that's what all of it is. Some of it may be, again, of if they're looking for next year of, of trying to get a jump on next yeah. year and things they want to try. Um, with Majeski's team, I certainly would hope so because he still had a shot at making it into the, the championship four. But if you're out, why not take the penalty and whatever for this year to see if you can get away with something or try something that may or may not be legal? Uh, again, I'm not condoning that or encouraging it, but you know that happens. Teams that aren't in the playoffs anymore are starting to look towards next year. Talking about uh, you used to have teams that would do research and development if two of the four – two of the four teams weren't in the playoffs, they would try some different setups and different things trying to do a research and development to improve it overall for all the teams the following year or even for the two that are continuing in in the playoffs. So I think that might be part of it. But, Sharon, you got a good point. When a, when a team that has a driver and a team that's capable of it, putting that dark cloud over them then of, well, what else have they done that they didn't get caught for, being that they have now been twice in what, four weeks, six weeks, whatever it's been, um, really does put kind of a dark cloud over them, unfortunately. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Really nothing more to add. Like Jay said, it's, it's hard to, to come up with a good reason why besides just trying to, to get that little competitive edge. Are they playing games for next year? Are they just trying to, to get that last little bit this year? It's really tough to say. And uh, I don't know about you. I can't really crawl inside these guys' heads and, and discern exactly what's going on inside there. I can barely figure out what's going on inside of my head most of the time, so I'm not going to try with somebody else. <laughs> but you hate to see it. It is what it is. Um, and the, long story short, these guys play games, and uh, you know, they played stupid games, and they won stupid prizes. So here we are uh, towards the end of the year, and we got a whole ugly penalty report with a couple weeks left in the season. Probably not going to be the end of it. Hopefully they got it out of their system because the last thing we ever want to see is a championship decided based on a penalty. I'm really glad that the disqualification of the number 38 truck as well as the penalty on the 98 truck did not have a bearing in the overall final four because I think that would be a really bad look for the sport to have um, the participants in their championship four painted by having a penalty over them or have it changed with what is announced at the racetrack of, hey, these, these drivers, these teams have qualified for the championship, and then a few days later we find out that they cheated and they end up getting taken out of the championship four. That's a really bad look for the sport. So at least, fortunately, we didn't have that happen. Um, but that's kind of where we're sitting at right now, unfortunately. Brian. 
your follow-up? I don't think I have anything else to add. I think we did a, a great job of kind of, you know, giving our thoughts, and, and I echo what you guys all said about hopefully, you know, we don't see any penalties, especially in the this weekend in the in the final round of the or the final race of the last round, as well as in the championship race. I mean, I just think like obviously you you can't have that, but I think definitely in the playoffs as well. You know, especially with the trucks that being their their final cut off before the final race, I think that would have been, you know. A, a pretty big black eye in the truck series. If you know one of those is James DQ had affected that playoff picture and who made the final round. Um, you just kind of hate to see that. Um, I think, you know, hopefully they're just getting all that kind of stuff caught in pre-race tech and not having any of those issues. I, I do think it would be really hard to to have something like that happen, especially in one of these, these critical races for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And NASCAR has been working really hard on their integrity of the sport and uh, I wish these teams would would uh, have the same uh, frame of mind that they want the integrity of their team uh, intact as well as the integrity of their driver. And when they do things, I think they attack their own integrity. Um, I think it's also interesting, and I guess it's because it was a pre-race inspection that this was found, that they only docked them 10 points for the violation. Uh, 10 points is a lot, I guess, but it's, um, I guess it's, it is because of the pre-race inspection. If it had been found post-race, I think it would have been a much heavier uh, penalty. But, um, gosh, I, I, I just wish integrity meant more. <laughs> and I know they don't look at it that way, but I, I just wish integrity meant more. Uh, Jay? Well, the one that when we're looking at it, you talked about going back to the truck series, and and I learned this today, actually, during our preview portion, the number 38 penalty did affect the four that made it in, as there was a tiebreaker. Ben Rhodes got in on the tiebreaker based on that penalty of the 38. And unfortunately, then, some people want to look at the 99 team of Ben Rhodes of not deserving to be there. They got in there because somebody else made a mistake and was penalized, which I would rather see that because Ben Rhodes has the opportunity to go out and prove that, Hey, they raced their way there. They were there for a reason versus, as you said, we look at out of, you don't want to have one of the championship four have an issue and say, well, they shouldn't have been there because then you're saying, well, who should have been and didn't get the opportunity. But I don't like the fact that I did see a little bit of a scuttle about that of the 99 team feeling that they didn't deserve to be there. They only got in because of somebody else's penalty. And, and that just comes with it. Uh, again, the only way to eliminate that is to not have any of them doing it, which we know probably isn't going to happen as well. Um, but I just I, I hate to see it as a whole because, again, if that's the storyline – versus who does race well or finishes well and races their way to a championship. You know, Sharon, I'm with you. I don't want to see the the champion we crown uh, have that question of what did they do throughout the year. I know I've always said of I'm not, I'm not in full endorsement of the if you aren't cheating, you aren't trying, but you also have to push it because, um, again, tenths of a second, one point, tenths of a second, you know, I mean, I think about Ross Chastain, what we saw him do at Martinsville, you know, just absolutely got to go for it, throw it up against the wall and let it fly, you know, and NASCAR deemed that as 
not legal because he wasn't racing. He let the wall do the work. And I understand that. You know, it was a one-time thing, and it'll live on in infamy forever. But that's not how they want to see competition done of just throw it into the corner and let it go and see what happens either. Not to mention the safety aspect of it. Um, So, yeah. Do we have another topic? Let's see. Mike, you're up next. Do you have a quick topic for us? I really don't. I know we're at the top of the hour, so if somebody else has a quickie, I'll go ahead and pass to them. Okay. Uh, Brian, did you have a quickie? Uh, I'm going (laughs) to guess this real quick. How many times do you think we're going to be subjected to seeing the Hale Mellon um, move played again and again and again this weekend? I mean, it's only Thursday afternoon, and I'm kind of already sick of seeing it on the NASCAR and NBC social channels. So just kind of funny and head-scratching a little bit that, Oh, we've outlawed this move. You can't do it anymore. But oh man, look at what happened last year. Well, sorry, that's not going to happen again this year. It's going to result in a penalty. So uh, I don't know. It's just kind of my little little, uh, side rant. (laughs) To be fair, Brian, I'm I'm happy to see that at least a move that was legal at the time. Versus they finally have found something to replace the move that got a driver a two week vacation. Uh, i.e. Matt Kenseth taking out Joey Logano back in 2015. They they played that for years and years and years. And that move at the time was considered illegal to the point where Kansas got suspended for two years. So at least they've got something else to hang their hat on. That's a, that's a fair point, actually. I mean, it is an improvement, I guess, from the highlights that we, the, yeah, the, the, the high points of Martinsville. So uh, fair point. Uh, that makes me feel maybe a little bit better. Maybe not a lot. I'm still going to be probably sick of seeing that move by the end of Sunday. But, uh, yeah, that was just my, my, my final parting thought. I, I just think we were all so stunned when we saw that happen. Uh, Definitely, like stunned. A Definitely stunned. Definitely A collective uh, intake of a breath uh, while you held it to see what was going to happen. Um, and and from that perspective, I you know, if you think about all the things that could have gone wrong, uh, I'm happy, happy, happy that the things that could have gone wrong didn't. Uh, but at the same time, I think it was one of those moments in our history uh, that everybody was just completely stunned that it happened. Nobody more stunned than Denny. Um, but I, I, uh, I do think that this might be the last year that they show it. I don't know. We'll see. Time always tells the rest of the story there. But, Jay, you get the final word on this one. No, I'll take that bet. Uh, that one's not going to go away, and neither is the Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano deal. Um, it, go, it goes back to what Mike said it before, and I, I thought he was going to lead more into it. When you talk about advertising for a race and they show some of these spectacular wrecks, you know, you don't want you want people to be involved in the or engaged in the racing and quality passes, and they show some of the wrecks that happen, specifically Daytona or Talladega, and those still happen year in and year out. Think about some of the past wrecks we've seen at Daytona, those still get highlights because that's what they are. They, they are still a highlight. Um, is that the best way to advertise? I'm not in charge of advertising, so I don't know what numbers certain things bring in, but it's a part of the sport. And this one, of the reason I say I don't think it'll ever go away, yes, it was deemed illegal, but as Sharon, you guys mentioned, just the Everybody in awe, first off, of what happened, how it happened, the willingness to do it, whether it can be done again or not. And, you know, you listen to an interview from Ross Chastain. He's like, 
I didn't really think about it. If I'd have had another half second to think about it, I probably wouldn't have done it. And he said he wouldn't do it again. So um, we ain't got to worry about that. But just to break it down in again of what what you're willing to do and even try when it comes to that of being in that position is phenomenal in my opinion. I mean, to even think about that and be like, hey, this might work. I've tried it on the video game. I mean, several drivers said they had thought about it, but to have the, we'll say, we to have the melons to go ahead and do it. <laughs> okay, we'll go ahead and do our roundtable as uh, we start our sign-off here. Mike, we'll start with you. It's going to be Mike underscore Ozell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Looking forward to the racing at Martinsville this year. Martinsville historically is one of my favorite racetracks. I'm really hoping the racing product has improved there. They are going to try a new tire there this weekend, so I'm really anxious to see. Hopefully that pays off with some improved action on the racetrack. But I'll be sitting there watching it. Uh, I guess my buddy Andy Lasky is going to be working, which is unfortunate, but maybe one of you all will stop in and and we can chat there in the, uh, the race day chat. All right, Brian. Uh, yeah, beeberly18 on Twitter, best way to follow. Uh, very similar thoughts to Mike. I'm, I'm hoping for some great racing in Martinsville. Uh, Martinsville's definitely always been one of my favorite tracks. It's on my bucket list to, to make it to maybe, maybe next year and have a few of those Martinsville hot, Martinsville hot dogs. Definitely will be glued to the TV watching on Sunday and hoping for a great race. So I'm pretty excited. I was a little bit bittersweet this time of year knowing that we only have two more NASCAR race weekends left um, for, before the offseason. Okay, Jay. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on X, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'll give a plug for Mike's there. Give him a follow. I don't know, Mike, if you put it up actually on uh, on X there, but if you want restaurant critiques for the Columbus, Mississippi area, Mike's been out and about and has his opinions on restaurants as well. So <laughs> check that out and see. Okay. I am uh, as well as our website, fanforacing.com. Uh, I, too, am looking forward to the races this weekend at Martinsville. Uh, two elimination races uh, at for the race at Phoenix. Phoenix uh, this year as well, where we're who our champions are going to be. And uh, John and I, my brother, have already talked about where we're going to go. Phoenix is the next track we're going to visit. So uh, I'm looking forward to that for next season. Um, A big thank you to our listeners for tuning in and to our Fan for Racing crew here today uh, for all that you contribute. Uh, I've got some ideas for next season, and I'm going to be reaching out to all of you to get your thoughts. So uh, I'll probably put it on uh, our team's chat so we can kind of uh, discuss. uh, Be sure to respond back and let me know your thoughts about the idea. So I'll just uh, put that out there. And then, um, again, we'll be back next Monday to do the review of our race at uh, Martinsville. Uh, That'll be our ultimate review show And then Thursday is going to be our finale for the preview show as we preview the races coming up on Phoenix, at Phoenix. So uh, then we'll have our finale uh, for the review show after the Phoenix races, 
and our season is winding down, guys. Uh, sad but true, but I think we're all looking forward to the break as well. So with that, I think we're ready to call it uh, a day here on Fan for Racing Radio, and uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. Let's call Have it a wrap, one. guys. Enjoy the weekend. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.